Welcome to Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow female artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Well, it is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of their favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom these women have to offer. Today I sit down with Alice Moran and enjoy some whiskey on ice. Alice is an award-winning actor and writer, originally from Edmonton and now based in Toronto. At just 18 years old, she was hired at the Second City Toronto, where she created and filmed the sketch Hogwarts Which House Are You?, which quickly reached over 3 million views online and was featured in the Huffington Post, CBC News, Topless Robot, and Time. You can see her in shows like Man Seeking Woman, The Beaverton, and Sunnyside, which she won a Canadian Screen Award for Best Performance in a Variety or Sketch Comedy Program or Series alongside her cast. She also stars as Wendy in CBC's comedy series Crawford, which won her a Canadian Comedy Award for Best Performance in a TV Series just last year. You can see Alice in her most recent on-screen performance as Mary Jane in CBC's Decoys, now streaming on CBC Gem. So Alice is an actor, a writer, and a woman I admire immensely. Hi, Alice. Hi. Alice, I'm so excited to have you here today. I can't even tell you. You are a person where like throughout the years, I've managed to sneakily come up and be like, oh, hi, and have like a 30 second conversation with it like bad dog about your beautiful dress that you're having on at that holiday party or something. Bless and then you. I run away out of being scared. And then I run away, I'm like, okay, 30 seconds. Next time we'll make it a minute. And then I never uh, do. I mean, it, it may feel bad then because I hate the idea that I'm scary. <laughs> no, but oh my gosh. Yeah, that's fair. No, you're not scary. Um, <laughs> uh, because also anytime, anytime I have approached you for those 30 seconds, you are, you immediately treat me like a friend, which is so wonderful. I try to do that. I do that maybe more with women. Cause I feel like sometimes if you're like friendly with a guy, he's like, you're flirting with me. I'm like, no, 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 no. So I have to like, I feel like ladies, I'm always like, yes, my children, let's all be friends. And guys, I'm like, okay, we have a boundary and I'm establishing it right now. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just putting a strong boundary right here, sir. Oh my God. I, yes, that is exactly like so often. I, I've literally talked about that on here before, I think too, about with guys like wanting to be just a friendly human being. And then you realize, oh, I'm signing a contract with you. Got it. Okay. Walking away. Never mind. Like, yeah. Hi. So, which I feel bad about because I like oh, most of my best friends are men. But so it's always like the start of our friendship is always being like a let's establish some boundaries and now we can be friends. Great, great, great. great, great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas all my female friends is like the first night we ever met, we got super drunk. We like went through our whole personal histories and we're like, now we're best friends forever. <laughs> That's so, I think that's like such a gift that you, that you approach people like that and, and relationships like that. I think that's like, and I, I think that's pretty unique, honestly, because yeah, because any, yeah, because anytime I've approached you, every time I'm walking away with like a new, a new, a new like part of you that I, that I learned, like you are gifting a piece of yourself each time. That sounds so, bleh, but I just mean you're just, you're, you're not, it's not like a facade. I don't feel like when I'm interacting with you, you're just like, oh yeah, I'm going to open up this part about myself and I'm going to like, let you know about, yeah. Well, I was like, uh, uh, I like, I feel like a big shift in my life is when I figured out how to not be an introvert. And I think that was like, I think we're all bad at chit chat. So like um. if I'm, you're like a standing at the bar and I'm just like, oh yeah, another cold day in Toronto. You're like, <laughs> 
is an ob- this is it's awkward and we feel bad. Whereas, so I tried to stop having chit chat. And so whenever I'm talking to people, I'm like, what do I want to talk about? Or I just like say the thing, even I'm like, which sometimes is maybe a bit too personal and stuff, but like, hey, if you have these conversations, then you're always having better conversations. So like your response, um, an improv teacher once said to me, and I use this in life and not just in comedy, but if you're not having fun, you're, it's your fault. Oh, I love that. So like that. when I'm talking to people, I'm like, if this is a bad conversation, it's at least 50% my fault. Probably. I mean, you know, there's exceptions to that rule, but like, if it's just like awkward talking about nothing, well then I'm not talking about anything either. So yeah. Just, sometimes you just like throw stuff out there and be like, you hear, let's talk about this. Oh my God. Not even 10 minutes in and there's already a nugget of wisdom where I'm like, yeah, what do I want to talk about right now? Like, why am I spending 15 minutes with this person talking about something I don't even want to talk about? Like, I'm not even having fun. Well, if you're going to write a scene, like you would never write the awkward them being like, hey, so we're just meeting for the first time. And it's awkward. You, like you would have your character just be like, here's a thing. And they just like <laughs> verbal diarrhea it out yeah, and it'd be yeah. funny. And then it would create a scene. So like in real life, I just feel like if you're just like, well, uh, here's this. You always have like a better night. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. There's so many times where I walk away from a night at like Bad Dog Theater or somewhere after a show. And I'll talk to people and then I walk home and I think about all the conversations I had and I'm like, I don't even think I was me. Like, I don't even think I, I said things I didn't even give a shit about. Like, what, what am I doing? Yeah. That's. Yeah. I think we train that into ourselves. Right. Cause mm-hmm. like when you're at work or whatever, you gotta like be reasonably normal. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And also trying to, I often figure out I try and figure out like, oh, well, what does this person think is funny? And like, what would this person like? And then you're just all those things. But then the problem is when they all collide in a room and you're like, oh my God, I can't be 52 different things at the same time. I can't. And then I just go home. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm a people pleaser. I really, really desperately want everyone to like me and like, you know, life's journey for me is just being like, I don't like everybody. So I need to stop expecting everybody to like me. Yeah. Yeah. All I can do, all you can do is be kind. You be kind and if anyone's a dick, you're like, well, whatever, throw that aside. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're just like, you know, try to be nice. I feel like it all works out. You have a decent time at the bar. I don't know. My grandfather <laughs> weren't like the only like pieces of advice. He died when I was like kind of young. And what are the, like a very inappropriate thing to tell a second grader. But uh, he told me like when I was very young, he was like um, a sad person uh, wait, if you only had enough money for two drinks, a sad person has two drinks and a happy person has a drink with a friend. And like, that is like, like a piece of like my whole being. I'm like, yeah, like, you just, yeah. So I'm like, that's truly. And in so many times where I, I, ha- I have bought drinks when I really should not have afforded those drinks. <laughs> um, but like, I feel like if you're just like always being like, okay, well, this is a friend and I'm going to treat the situation like a friend. You're never most people like you. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right that all you can do is be kind. You can't control, like, I'm also a people pleaser. I also, I want like constant reassurance that everybody likes me and for reasons that are true to who I am. So it's not a fake. And I'm like a nightmare in 2020 because you're on the internet and you tweet something and a stranger's like, I hate you forever. And they harass you. And you're like, oh my God, someone doesn't like me. And I really, and the more you like try to fix that, the worse it gets. And I think about people who hate me on Twitter more than I think about like members of my extended family. Do you have trolls on Twitter? You tweet the most lovely things. I can't imagine people, oh, your face. Uh, You're like, "Mm." 
Well, I mean, everyone does. Like the more mm. you're on the internet, the more someone's going to come out of the woodwork to hate you. And sometimes, like sometimes, I mean, this could be the conspiracy nut in me, but mm. sometimes you get someone you're like, ooh, this, this account was created today and they have no followers and they only follow me. Is this someone I know who secretly hates me? Uh, and then you go down oh, that. That's a spiral. Yeah. And there's too much time this year to think about <laughs> stuff. There is. Yes. Well, actually, and one, speaking of being kind, one of the things that I know you've been finding yourself busy doing with all this time is making masks for not only yourself and your family and friends, but I've seen you post online about like, anyone want a mask? I'll make you a mask. And like on a podcast you were on, you were like, anyone want masks? Like so uh, lovely of you. Well, I, I feel like, oh, you know how they say like, there's no good deed. Cause like a a good thing makes you feel good. So it's not a true good day. Mm-hmm. Truly me making masks is about my own anxiety and my feeling powerless this year. So mm-hmm. uh, the more, like, we have a huge community and the safer our community is, the safer all of my individual friends are. And I have mm-hmm. a little brother who's a doctor and he works in a COVID clinic. And that is, you know, we, there's nothing we can do about that. He's very good at his job and he's being very safe, but like I can't keep him safe. So the best I can do is like, keep my community safe so someone else's little brother maybe is a little bit safer. Oh, Alice, that just, that's so kind of you. Can I, can I ask you, I know you had posted on your Instagram about the masks and you had said that you went um, to a website to find the pattern because you, you had posted a story like yeah. showing people if you want to make masks, here's how you can make them at home. Can you share what that web, you had, you had mentioned it in the story. What's the yeah. website? Do you remember where you get the pattern I, to make I, it? Googled it, but it's Pretty Handy Girl. And pretty if you just type in girl. Pretty Handy Girl Mask, um, it's a pretty, um, it, I had never, I didn't learn to sew until this year and I learned sewing masks. Uh, when most people learn to sew, if you like take like home ec or something in high school, it's like like a crappy coin purse or like a terrible yeah. throw pillow. Uh, so this is like, you can learn to do something that's immediately like useful and you feel like, it's, I don't know, you can make something immediately. They're like, this has value and it wasn't a waste of time. Whereas like in high school, when I would try to sew, I'd just be like, Ugh, this is stupid and pointless and I don't want it. And why am I putting all this work into something I hate? I'm quitting this class and going into a different tech credit. <laughs> totally. I remember I, I didn't, I didn't uh, learn sewing in high school, but I like bought this like little kit to learn how to sew, like just a hand stitch. And the first thing the book got me to make was um, this little like pin cushion. Oh, but yeah. then I made it and I was like, I don't need those pins. Cause like, I don't understand how to use them yet. I just felt stupid and it was lumpy. It looked like a pumpkin. And st- I think it was supposed to look like a tomato. Mine looked like a pumpkin. <laughs> and then I was supposed yeah. to make this little book that held the needles. And I made those two things. And then the, the kit book thing was done. And I was like, so all I know how to sew are things to help me sew. Like, how do I make a shirt? Yeah. Like, how do Which I make like, anything? I mean, I've made a couple of dresses this Ooh. year. Been, like, like, my favorite thing I've done this year is I made a matching scrunchie mask dress combo. Uh, feels good. It's not perfect, but I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. Are you kidding? You made a matching scrunchie mask and dress and you didn't know how to sew before this year? Yeah. I mean, I've been getting a lot of help from my stepmom. Whenever I go to my stepmom's, I'm like, I don't understand this pattern. And she's like, well, you need to sew a zipper and you don't know how to do that. I'm like, I need help, please. Um, but then some other stuff, I've just like gone onto YouTube and bashed through it. Yeah. Yeah. But masks and scrunchies, they're very easy and you could be doing them tomorrow if you wanted to. I love that. I saw online there was this scrunchie where it had a zipper in it and you open it and you can like put keys or like lips, um, lip chap or like money in. And I thought- I would put weed in there. That would be so dope. 
could literally put anything. I, oh my God, I have a scrunchie on my, I could literally just put, I have one on my wrist. I could just put I, it on my wrist and walk around. This has been a big year for me in scrunchies, I feel like. Yeah, big year yeah. for me in scrunchies yeah. and also tie-dyeing my own clothes, like big year. I have wanted to tie-dye and I just, I don't, I have no reason. I haven't, I would love to. Is it hard? No, do you have bleach? No, but I could get oh. some. Yeah, you could just take like this is like this was like a Simon's black sweater that I literally just threw bleach. You on did that? Went, yeah, and it looks so much like I went online and I was looking at a dress that looked like this, and it was like two hundred dollars, and I was like, hell no! And I had this like old hoodie dress, and I was like, what if I just threw bleach on it? Let's see what happens. And it's exactly what I wanted. So, I would I would absolutely buy that sweater. Maybe it's not like an Etsy that we're starting during look, COVID. There's nothing you can't, there's nothing, if you want to craft something, there is a YouTube and it's like two Southern sisters and they're like, hey y'all, we're gonna show you how to throw bleach on your clothes. We don't know what we're doing. And it's <laughs> so many, I've watched so many tutorials where people are like, we don't actually know for sure that this is correct, but this is how we do it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then they like always screw it up and they like leave it in. And you're like, this makes me feel better because it worked out for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, so it'll work out for me, right? And so, you know, one thing I'm realizing is, um, part of dealing with stress for me is I fill my time with a bunch of things. Like I'll just make a list of all these things I need to do. So then I don't gift myself time to just be idle and like be creative. Like, what do I want to go learn how to do? What do I want? You know, I don't give myself enough time to go do that. Well, I feel like ugh, this is one of the weird thing about, I don't know what your like your emotional journey of this year has been <laughs> yeah. because I feel like I've had like several where I've been like, I figured it out. And then like another month goes by and I'm like, no, it's worse again. Um, <laughs> that pencil, I'm resonating so much with that pencil yeah, this right is, now. This is yeah. my life. Yeah. Um, but um, I, one of the things I keep coming back to when I get like feeling really bad about myself this year or like this year in general or like the state of the world is I'm like okay I'm not getting this time back so I need to I need to do something mm -hmm. so that on the other side of this there's like a tangible skill that I can be like I learned to do that and if nothing else that so this year I've learned to sew uh, I've learned to drive I did not previously know how to <laughs> <laughs> that's that amazing was, congratulations Ooh, very easy to learn to drive when there's no cars when there's no the cars i was gonna say it's great yeah great and then i've like i don't know like i took like um you know those like master classes that are always advertised to you i took dame helen mirren's shakespeare class oh and, shit like, alice I like prospero and i'm like i don't know i've been like trying to learn the backstreets back dance <laughs> just like make a list of like the dumbest things and you're like okay well like let's try to do some of these things because you have so much time yeah yeah so much time and it's like so that you're not getting back so you may as well like whatever make a crappy dress and dance by yourself in your house like you're scrunchy yeah why not live, live your truth I know I found myself like since I film like I'll fill up my schedule to real to to relieve stress somehow and that obviously doesn't help because then it stresses me out I found myself during quarantine complaining to my partner and my therapist uh, that there's not enough hours in the day. And I had to stop myself and be like, hold on. You're literally stuck at home 24 seven. You are, you have, you can't do anything. Like, why don't you have enough hours in the day? Like I was stressed that I had too much to do. And I was like, Ooh, but you know what a gift it was and acknowledging my immense privilege that I can say that was a gift during COVID because I was, you know, I was safe and I was healthy and I had food and it was like such an eye-opening experience because it standardized the experiment for me because I've always gone through like being like, well, if I just didn't have to have a Joe job or if I just wasn't doing two shows at once or if oh, I just, if I just, 
And then during this, I was like, oh no, no, this, I never have enough time. This is a me thing. Like this isn't a situational thing. This is like a habitual thing in my head that I have control over changing because I'm never going to have a time where I have nothing to do and still I don't have enough time. Yeah. So for me, I'm by myself uh, and Mm. I've gone a bit, I've gone to my dad's and my grandmother's, but for the first two and a half months, I was Mm. truly by myself every Mm. single day Uh, when in the worst of it with like just my thoughts, uh, Mm. which is uh, prior to this year, if you had asked me, what is my number one fear? I would have said dying alone. I no longer, no longer. I'm like, I can be alone. It's honestly, it's, it's not easy. Uh, but like, um, this is the worst version of it. And so at the end of my life was just like, I don't know. I have friends that I see occasionally. I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. It's not, it's much better. It's not the worst. Uh, so that's kind of the cool thing this year is I'm like, well, time to move down to whatever number two biggest fear in life is. Cause number one, I'm like, I'm not afraid of that. That's fine. Yep. I got whatever. it. I got it. I think it is pretty amazing. And again, because we're on somewhat, somewhat of the other side in just that we're allowed to leave our front door. However, Mm. however, um, in that you can kind of look and be like, Oh, so I can be by myself and I'm okay. Or that's, you know what, that is such a, that is such an awful simplification of that. I want to take all of that back. Cause I'm like, I mean, like, but whatever, we're all saying things all the time. We're like, is that what I mean? As I'm, I'm like, well, that's yeah, no, I mean, I'm also, look, yeah. We're 15 minutes into a conversation and like five things I've said, as I'm saying, I'm like, do I sound like a dumbass? Why am I talking? Like that's being a human is just regretting uh, everything you say all the time. Oh my God. That is the most truthful statement I've ever heard anybody say. I should also mention we're drinking whiskey today. Uh, no, we're not. Yeah. We're drinking. Sc- I took like one sip and I can't even, um, I'm drinking whiskey. You're drinking. What kind of scotch are you drinking? Oh, this is just like, honestly, it's not even a good scotch. So I don't even want to. Okay. That. So we won't even say it. It's, it's immediate. It's my, I had good scotch and I finished it watching the Jays tank this week. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so, so sorry I'm just saying basic scotch, but if you're drinking scotch, you're like, right. Oh, it's too much. Throw some water, or some ice or some soda. Totally. I did throw some ice. I like okay. cold scotch or like cold whiskey. And, and yeah. That's I haven't had it in so long. Wrong. I know that some people mm. get on your back about that, but some, yeah. some scotches need a little water to activate the flavor profile. So if so you take like that, yeah, it's not like you're throwing like carbonated water in it. Exactly. I'm not putting also, like, I don't even care if you do that. Like live your life. If you like it, who I, I, if I bought the whiskey, I can mix it with whatever I want right now. I'm just mixing it with ice cubes, but like yeah, I could, like, I don't know. I I guess people are like, Ooh, but you're ruining the purity of the flavor. Like whatever. There's so little joy in 2020. Take whatever joy you find. (laughs) Let me take my carbonated water and whiskey joy. I actually opened this up for this episode. I bought it. I had it at the beginning of COVID. Well, no, right before it started, I had a gift card to LCBO. So I went and I was like, you know what? I've been hoarding this gift card for so long. I'm just going to like buy a bunch of different varieties of spirits and I bought it and I haven't opened it yet. So when you, when you said scotch and I thought whiskey is the same thing, which it's, it's not exactly, we, we realized, um, yeah, I was like, I'm going to open this for Alice. Like, this is great. This is my first glass of this little, this little bottle here. So I mean, I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, I think that's also, I feel like I could be wrong. Cause I don't, I hate people hate me when I say this, I don't get hung over, but I also know that when people hang out with me and I tend to drink a lot of whiskey, a lot of scotch, and then they drink it with me and they seem to be less awful. Like, I feel like if you're drinking straight spirits, you mm. seem to be better off the next day, but 
Yes. Then mixing it with like sugary stuff, like adding yeah, like in if, to, yeah. Yeah. Like if you teach yourself to just drink like your grandfather, you will be a functioning <laughs> alcohol like your, like your grandfather. And you also won't have hangovers, which yeah. will be the perk of it, I guess. Um, okay. So Alice, I would love to ask you about your acting career here. Sure. Acting career here. Um, okay. So you started, I didn't know you started working at second city and performing in their education company at 18 years old. Yeah, it was understudying. So it was like, I worked for the second city, but like, I think I maybe did a show that year or two. And I, I absolutely like did not do a good job. Like I (laughs) rehearsal and I thought it was like every play I had been in where like, I had looked over the script, but I wasn't off book and it was my put in. So I was supposed to be off book and nobody had told me and they assumed I knew (gasps) that. And I was all of 18, just like shitting myself being like, Oh my God, everybody hates me. And I'm ruining. And then they're like, well, you have, you're doing the show tomorrow. You realize that. And I was like, what? Uh, uh." So, uh, yeah, year one was not uh, great. It was not good. Uh, (laughs) But even getting hired, like at eight, I'm just thinking at 18, what was it like being so much younger than your coworkers? Um, it was the run. It is still, if I, everyone who I started with, Mm -hmm. uh, still makes fun of me for being like a teen. Like it's the running joke that won't die. We're like, you know, every once in a while I'll run into like Alistair and he'll make a joke about, you know, do I have a date for the prom yet? (laughs) Which is like, (laughs) you know, this has been going on for like 15 years. (laughs) It's just never ending. It'll never end. But like everyone was really lovely about it. And I don't know. There was definitely a point early on where you, like everybody has imposter syndrome. And I remember everyone, when I got hired for the second, not everyone, but like a lot of people being very confident to come up to me and tell me like, well, you didn't get hired because you're good. You know that, right? You got hired because you're like a pretty girl. And um, that was the first time anyone had ever like told me I was pretty, which was like, <laughs> like I had not been cute in high school. And then I kind of swanned all of a sudden. And everyone's like, <laughs> You just got hired because you're attractive. And I was like, how dare you? Oh my God, no, I did not get hired because I'm pretty. (laughs) Oh my God, you were like a little too enamored with like the compliment to to recognize like the the serious like... Well, this, this, which I don't even know if it's a word anymore. It bothered me for a while. Like I definitely like, we won't name names, but I had a coworker Mm -hmm. tell me when we were in tour code together, when I was like really working hard to try to write this very political sketch about like what's going on and Stephen Harper can go to hell. And like, um, (laughs) this coworker was like, I don't know why you try so hard. Uh, you're not here to be funny. If you don't put on weight, you'll keep your job. Um, and I was like, the fuck? Yeah. And I was, I, he was very drunk when he said it. And I like the next day I was like, Hey, just so you know, you said this to me last night, it really hurt my feelings. Good and he doubled you. down. He like just doubled down. No. Like, I, I mean it. Like I, you know that that's true. And I'm not going to apologize for being honest with you. And I was oh, furious, furious, furious. But like when you're like that young, you don't really know what to do. Whereas like, of course, no I still would, don't know what to do. No one would speak to me like that anymore because I feel like I now have a reputation for like I will I will just eat your head like I'll just murder you <laughs> I'll eat your head I'll eviscerate you like in front of everyone uh, which is like a learned thing where like you just ha- you deal with that for so long that eventually you're just like no and here's why and like suck it and as an addendum to that I have a better career than you and always will goodbye goodbye. What the fuck? Well, but okay, like at that age, I mean, honestly, like I said, even now, it's very hard to not let that 
permeate at all. Like, even if you're like, okay, this is about their unhappiness and their insecurity and not me. Some of it soaks in. Like, I don't know how to not let it soak in. A hundred percent. I think the entire time I was with the second city, I had like deep imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And then when I was leaving the second city, um, it was because it was, I wasn't getting moved up to main stage and I had been there like a while and I didn't mm. really want to wait anymore. And so I went in and I was like, you're either promoting me or quit. And they're like, well, we're not promoting you. And I was like, okay, well I quit. Uh, and then like, I look, I was gone and everyone's like, you got fired. Or there was like rumors that I had like a mental breakdown. Like everyone was like talking what? all kinds of nonsense about me. And I was like, oh my God, what if I never work again? And everyone's right. And then like, I went away to Scotland for like a week. And everyone thought that I had moved to London to like have a career in London. And I was like, whoa. And then I came home and I promptly booked um, this show called Spank, which I got to write and tour around the United States for a year and a half. And so yeah, was that, was the, that was the parody of um, 50 Shades of Grey, right? <laughs> yes. No, no, uh, no, not even. I'm seeing your face. You're like, yeah, no, but I'm saying like, fucking right. Like you come back. I mean, it yeah. was a, it was a cool job. I really liked that show. Um, cause I got to write it. So I got to put myself in this show and I got to write it with like some of my best friends, like got to write it with John Blair, who was like that. We kind of like knew each other before that, but that was us being like, yo, are we like comedy best friends? Like, do we have <laughs> the same jokes? I'm do- like, and I got to like work with some really cool people in that project. And honestly, it was the gift of like, every- it was a three person show. And every night I go out to an audience of like a thousand to two thousand people and do my oh own God. material and murder. Uh, so I just like also I made so much more money, uh, <laughs> like so 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 much more money, um, which was like you know like it's not all about the money, but like I think I think when you get told for so long, when I was the whole at the second city, I got told that I wasn't good enough for so long, and so the money kind of meant something because I was like mm-hmm. I make more than anybody here yeah. like I know like I like this means something to me not because uh necessarily like having money is good and capitalism is good but just because like someone is willing to pay me when another building was like here's $80 a week and we hate you yeah <laughs> we hate you yeah it's like see you're saying I'm not valuable but actually now it's like you don't value me because see someone else does yeah and that's you it's not me you know and Spank was like such a successful show that like we debuted it um, in this like tiny theater uh, in Massachusetts and they had brought all these like theater promoters there and it got so overbooked that first weekend that they had to immediately hire a second cast that toured concurrently. Oh my so God. Like, other people being me. And then there was like an Australian cast and a Polish cast. And like, I watched people do my jokes. It was very, I watched a girl, I watched the Polish girl do my show like I don't understand it but there's a point where she didn't get a laugh and there's like a silence and she starts like wiggling her shoulders and it starts getting a laugh and it's like she saw the tape of me bombing because that's what I do whenever I bomb is I just kind of do this to be like come on audience I'm working for it and they go they just oh my god Alice she like she like studied you like a master class well she just watched what I did and I was I think she probably just thought that like the shoulder shimmying was part of it and like the shoulder shimmying (laughs) is when when I'm uncomfortable trying to be like it's a joke, baby. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. What a great, I, I do think often like, okay, a way to just, if people are like saying shitty things about you or, or like negating your talent, you're like, okay. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's best the dream thing, right? Yeah. It's you're like, dream. I'll show like, you. 
Like when people, yeah. Whenever like someone tells you you're not enough, you're like, oh, someday I'm going to come back and y'all are going to be jealous. And like, that was kind of like, look, it wasn't, I'm not like, it's not like I like came back with an Oscar or a Grammy. I just came back and I was like, I continued to work. I continued to yeah. work and I got to be in an environment where I got to be uh, a more truthful version of myself and I was successful. I'm like, when I was at the second city, I just feel like I was constantly trying to be a version of me that was the second city. And I, I, I'm very grateful for the second city that gave me my start. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think trying to be a version of me that would have been successful there was to my detriment. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel like you got to leave on your own terms or, or did you expect them to promote you with the ultimatum? They really called my bluff. Um, yeah. <laughs> they really called my bluff. Yeah. yeah. Not, I won't fret <laughs> about it. Uh, and I was deeply embarrassed and like, uh, Sarah Hillier came in and I was immediately like, oh, they got someone better than me. Like I was so crushed. I was just like, I came to comedy bar, like right after, like, I guess Sarah had found out that she had the job and I came in and like the cast was all like, happened to all be there and they're all hugging Sarah. I'm like, we love you, Sarah. We're so excited that you're here. And I was like, oh my God. It's like being at my own funeral funeral and everyone's toasting with champagne. Like this is more. But like, honest, Sarah's so talented and was like, like I was always like, I was always, the whole time I was at the second study, I wouldn't, I did a whole show like very, very sick ones because I didn't want to call in my understudy because it was Sarah. And I'm like, if Sarah ever takes the stage, I'm never, they're going to fire me. <laughs> I got to <laughs> so hard to stay healthy. Fuck. Like what? It's just, yeah. Just like, it just sounds like sort of trapped in this message, like yeah, okay. I'm not here because I'm good enough. Like I got to keep this job. And then on the other side, I'm thinking like, I know, and you're probably so annoyed of people bringing this up, but I know you wrote and filmed like with Second City Network, the Hogwarts, Hog, I can't, why can't I talk tonight? Hogwarts, which house are you? And it yeah. got like what? 3 million views, like featured on Huffington Post, on Time, on Topless Robot, CBC News. Like that's, okay. I'm wondering, did did that video blowing up, did that aid at all in this like message of you're only here because you're pretty? Didn't help me at all. Like honestly, no. that sketch, um, that sketch was like a blackout we did in Edco that I, I pitched like five times and every mm-hmm. time everyone was like, no, 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 that's not going to work. And I was, the weird thing when I was in the Second City Educational Show, we were doing shows for high school students and I was 18, 19. Um, so I'd be like, I'm pretty sure this is funny. Mm-hmm. And people were like, no, it's not. And like, okay, but I'm the same age as the audience. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, going to think it's funny. So like when we finally got to do it, it like murdered. It obliterated the first time we did it. And I walked off stage and it was just this like rush of like, maybe I'm not stupid. I think yes. it was the first time like I ever felt in that building that maybe I'm kind of okay at my job. Am I coming off really pompous in this? I feel like I'm coming no. off of no. myself. Really? But, yeah. I don't know. It feels very weird to like, uh, it feels very weird to ever say nice things about myself or like mm. reflect positively on myself. It feels very un-Catholic. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, I feel you on that. Listen, okay, well, uh, no, I don't think you're coming across as pompous at all. I also, in my head, I'm like, well, is she going to think I wouldn't tell her if she was? What I'm getting is, first of all, you were hired at 18 for a reason. They don't need to hire an 18 year old. Like, and you're funny as fuck. You're so smart. You. You're so talented. You're an amazing actor. I can't hear these things improviser. without getting so I know like, you I can't. And I'm just, I'm just plowing through them as like partly <laughs> gonna, But no, yeah, just pour some more alcohol. Um, no, you are not coming across pompous at all. 
I mean, like, I feel like if I have like anything that I have learned that is useful, um, who is successful and who is not, there is such an element of random that I know so many of the most talented people I know are not successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many people that I'm like, "Eh," are. Um, So, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that there aren't talented people who deserve what they have, but I, I just feel like ultimately at the end of the day, if it's going to be an element of random, your best bet is to just be you as hard as you can. Cause I feel like, I feel like I spent all of my teen years and like maybe my early twenties trying, learning to be like a version of me that would be successful. And then at some point I had like this unlearn where I'm like, no, I'm just gonna figure out how to be me again. And the more I have embraced who I am as a person, mm-hmm. the more I've enjoyed my career and like the better it's been, like the yeah. more work I found. Cause I feel like, yeah, I feel like everyone's weird and everyone's a nerd. And the more you're just like, well, this is what I am. People are like, okay, cool, me too. And you're like, uh, oh, am I, a, I'm allowed to just be myself? Mm. Oh, oh. And people know people can resonate and can relate and, and resonate with you in a way that's authentic because they're, you're putting out the, the flavor of weird that you are. So they're like, oh my God, me too. Or like, oh, I'm not that we Like, I'm not that kind of weird, but I'm this kind and I want to interact with you. And I, yeah, I, I totally, I, I, I love that. What was like the switch for you? What was the moment where you're like, okay, I might as well just be me because I don't want to be a diluted, weird version of myself. Um, I honestly think it was just like kind of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Like there was a point when we were, there was a point when we were touring Spank where like I got a concussion and I was like, I was in a very abusive and toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And the show was like, I was flying around like the United States all the time and I was never seeing my friends. And like, it felt like everything was happening at once. And I was just like, so, oh, and I was on this, I was like really not being kind to myself. I was like not eating enough and like, any kind of weird like weight loss drug, I would try it. And I was on something that for sure got recalled uh, oh, no. because it was not good for me. <laughs> oh no. Um, and like, I just had like, I just would, I just was crying all the time. Like I was so sad all the time. And I was just having like blow ups with my friends and blow ups with my family. And I just couldn't keep myself together. And it was just like, I can't anymore. Like I literally just got to the point where I'm like, I, whatever, all I can, all I know for sure is I can't be this anymore. Mm. Like, so, you know, the other option is like, great, well, not this, I'm just going to like live my life and see what happens. And then the more it was me, the more I'm like, oh, this is easier. Like even when hard stuff happens, it's, it's hard. And I'm not having to pretend to be a version of me that's different living mm-hmm. through this and just me living through this. And that's, it's easier. Oh, uh, well, that makes sense then if like any sort of validation or praise, I mean, and, and definitely when you go on stage and you perform that blackout, like the Hogwarts, which house are you? And you go out. If it, I'm, I'm assuming too, like, it's fucking funny. I'm assuming it would kill when you went out on stage and actually got to do it. Yeah. It was honestly, I had so little faith in myself by the time Mm. I got to do that though. I didn't cast myself as the person with the jokes in the scene. I said, I was the setup. I gave it away to someone else. Cause I was like, I'm garbage. And if this is going to work, it's going to work without me. Oh, like I was just, I think I was like, I'm a Gryffindor. Like I did that. I did the setup part of my own. And then I remember, I think it was Alistair was at one point and he was like, why did you do that? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, why, why would you write something and not give yourself the joke? You need to be smarter. And I was like, I think, I don't think he was like trying to be wisdom. I think it was like an offhanded thing. He was just kind of saying, he's like, be smarter. If you write a funny joke, you should say it. Like, don't, Hmm. no one's going to do that for you. 
Why did yeah. you just give someone else like a win in the show? And I was like, oh yeah. Like, I think it's so weird. Cause like improv is like, take care of each other, mm-hmm. but there's an element of like, you have to sometimes take care of you and not in like a screwing other people over way. But I think, um, if you don't take care of you, then you're going to be miserable and you're going to be like, why is nobody doing things for me? And then you're like, your negativity is radiating out, radiating, mm-hmm. radiating, there you go, <laughs> radiating out from you. So I feel like, yeah, learning to like celebrate myself as gross and hard as that is to say, was like a, mm-hmm. also big, again, like I feel like every lesson I've ever learned in comedy is because I like fell so hard on my face. Oh Mul- my. Multiple times. <laughs> Oh man, I want to learn and I don't want to fall on my face. I hate failing in front of peers. Oh my God. I feel like, I feel like if I, like if you and I were to do a show or even if you were in the audience and I just like, like I walked off being like, that was garbage. Like I was garbage. I would think she's going to think I'm garbage forever. And I know my head knows that's not true. I was thinking about a set that happened like five years ago, just the other day, just being like, I can't. There are like, there's like two catch 22s that I bombed so hard that they're like, I can't, I'm not actually sure which is the worst <laughs> show of my yeah. life, but it was one of those two. And I was just thinking about them recently and being like, this is why the audience was wrong. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> all, honestly, part of me was like, in this specific case, maybe the host was a bit wrong for like, you know, if I'm the only woman on a show, maybe don't uh, make weird gendered insults and comments about me out of the gate to the audience. And if the uh, audience yeah. is something misogynistic, let's check that down. Uh, like, yeah, maybe, like, maybe. Those will all sit in you, I feel like, forever, mm. uh, which I think feels negative, but it's actually in a weird way positive because you learn more from failure than you do from success. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the people, like if you think back to your first improv classes, there's probably someone who was just like really good. Um, and then they hit a wall and they, they, they stopped doing comedy because they're like, well, I hit the wall. I'm not good at comedy anymore. Goodbye. Whereas I feel like if you have like a, enough failure, you like you microdose failure to the point where you can just like take on a lot of failure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you're able to get better because you're able to just like keep practicing and keep bettering yourself. Totally. You're, everyone's going to bomb eventually. Um, and I, I know, cause there's some people I've seen, I'm like, I've never seen them bomb, but I'm sure if I talk to them, their bombing stories are like, you know, inscrawled on their soul. Like all of ours are. Yeah. Um, so just be like, also like, I think the reason, like you think when you think of people you really like and you're like, well, I've never seen them bomb. You probably have what they would consider like a friggin' bomb. And mm-hmm. you saw it and you're like, oh, they were so good. One of the worst sets I ever did, um, was like the audience the audience started telling yelling take off your top and then me and the women on stage were like lights up house lights up we're gonna go who said it who said it and we just went and we just like went at the good oh fuck and like i got off stage and i was so upset and i was like oh everyone hates me i'm bad and i've had people like for years after that come and talk to me and the other girls in the set and be like i saw you and it's like one of my favorite improv sets i've ever seen and it's like what that was one of the worst like it was one of the most like I was so angry and I was like I'm not even doing comedy anymore I've just become like a being of pure like rage (laughs) Um, but like yeah I think a lot of your worst sets um are probably you are probably the person who thought it was the worst and everyone else is probably just like eh Mm -hmm. yeah if not they were like "Ooh, interesting they look so sad on stage what a character choice yeah totally wow they were willing to to just sit in the non-laughter oh my god they're so courageous and you're like i was trying to make you laugh for a good 15 minutes yeah that's so true that's so true and then i wonder like so then when you kind of allow yourself to 
just sort of sit in more of who you are and, and projects come along, um, then, then you get involved in shows like Crawford, which like, oh, you're so amazing in Crawford. I have to bless you. That show, um, I was like, oh, this is not going to be for everyone. And I know this going in and I loved it. And I have such like a tenderness for the whole cast. Like I'm trying all the time to make things with people from that show because it was such like a, oh, like a restorative experience. Like, you know mm. what? If you do comedy, mm -hmm. like live comedy for a long time, you're like, ugh, it's always working with like a team of rivals and you're stressed. But then you like, when you work on a TV show, it's usually like the opposite experience where it's more like we're all on the same team. No mm. one's trying to screw you. And it just feels like a more, it's like a bomb. Like not saying like I've had experiences where I'm like, this is bad and this person's being crappy. But like that show, like, I think I had one, like one bad hour in the entirety of filming an entire season that show. Like one hour where it was just like, everyone was a little rot and someone like, like was a little snippy to me. And I was like, <gasps> and then I was like over, is it, is it one bad <laughs> yeah. day? One bad day, exactly. That's and incredible. We like even, and everyone was so chill and that, that was like, we talked about it. And I was like, I'm sorry, did I do that? Did I do something? They're like, no, they're like, I had nothing, it had nothing to do with you. I was just like processing and like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Cool, neither of us actually have anything to be sorry for at the end of the day. Great, moving on with life. Oh my, communication and debriefing. This is my kind of weird. Communication and debriefing, like, I was gonna say, give me a boner. Like I, but like in an emotional, that's the wrong choice of words. Uh, <laughs> no, but I get it. That's my like, favorite thing. Like be, let's be transparent. Let's be, let's just be open with our, how we're feeling. Let's address any tension. Great. I, like learning, unlearning, like I feel like we all like picked up like crappy relationship part, like habits. Mm -hmm. And then you like do them to people and you know, you're starting a fight. Like one of the things I caught myself recently, like when I like a conversation dies, but you're still mad. Sometimes you like needle them just to like keep the conversation going. Cause you, mm -hmm. you, you want to have the, the denouement, like you want to solve it, but you don't know how to do it. So you just say something shitty in hopes that that'll lead. And I realize that that is something I do where I'm like, I, I want this to be over too, and I, but I'm uncomfortable with the silence because it makes me feel like you don't love me anymore and I'm all fucked mm -hmm. up about it. So then I, like recently, it was like a very big like light switch to be like when I'm in those moments where I'm like, I, I almost want to say something to start something. I just go, hey, I don't know what to say right uh -huh. now. Uh, and so I'm actually not actually that upset about this. Like, honestly, it seems like you have your point of view, I have mine, and we can keep arguing about this or alternately, here's a video of a dog. I really like this. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And 90% of the time the person's like, yeah, like, do we need to like have this, like, I feel like uh, television and movies teach us that we need to have these like satisfying conclusions to all mm -hmm. of our like arguments and stuff. But sometimes it's just like, you don't, um, you're not an emotive person. I am. Your thing upsets me and my thing upsets you. Mm -hmm. Let's yeah. not kill each other. Yeah. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not satisfying. Even if it's, a healthy ending of like an argument or a disagreement. Sometimes it's not satisfying because because I think too TV so often teaches us like you're the puzzle pieces that fit together and like if it's not a perfect fit then goodbye and that's like friendships, family, romantic, all of it. And so yeah, exactly what you said. Like sometimes my, I'm not going to be able to give you what you want even if I love the shit out of you. I'm just not going to be able to, and that's not because I don't want to. That's just not. I don't have that. And like, yeah. And like, I don't know, it's been like a real thing in my like brain of like trying to retrain myself into being like, okay, 
what do I wish that someone, what's the kindness I wish someone would give me in this scenario? Like, mm-hmm. what do I wish they were saying to me when I'm this upset? And then being like, hey, there's a reasonable chance that if I give them this courtesy, that that'll solve this. Mm-hmm. Which is, I don't know. I know that's such a lame thing to be like, I'm in my 30s and I just figured out do unto others as they would have them do unto you. <laughs> but it's like a weird thing that's like translating that into everything you do, like trying yeah. to trying to treat people with the compassion you wish they were treating you with, even when like, you're like, they're being shitty and like, you have every right to be mad. But sometimes it's like, one of us has gotta be like, not this right now. So I'm gonna try to be like this person. And then if they continue to be shitty, then there's a different conversation of like, Mm -hmm. is this worth it? But like 90% of the time, I feel like I'm trying to give you what I wish I was getting that usually Mm -hmm. fixes things. Have you ever done, um, have you ever found out your love language? Ooh, um, yes, I can't, okay. I, I, I like gift giving, like gift giving is like a really big one for me, but I don't like getting gifts, which is very weird. Like <laughs> it's very hard to give me anything that I will like. Um, honestly, I like always, every, every partner I've ever had, I feel like they have, I mean, I've also had like particularly bad gift giving partners. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, maybe I hated the gifts because their gifts sucked. Like, maybe that's why you didn't like them. Well, like, ugh. a weird one I've had is like with a boyfriend and also a girlfriend subsequently after I had, um, uh, they both kept buying me jewelry and I would keep being like, I'm allergic to metal. Please stop buying me jewelry because I can't wear it unless it's gold. And then they think they would think that that's me being like, buy me something expensive, but it's not. You're like, buy skin... me something I'm not going to have an allergic reaction to. Yeah, like my skin will rot. <laughs> buy me something that won't make my skin rot. Like, I don't think that's high maintenance. <laughs> Truly turns green. Um, oh. So that part is repeatedly like buy you jewelry and you're just like, I would have preferred you hadn't gotten me anything because mm-hmm. I, I don't like having stuff. Like I want everything I own to have a function or like mm-hmm. mean something to me. Otherwise I don't want to own it. I don't know. But it's also like at the end of the day, I'm like, maybe I didn't communicate well. Maybe like I was like, oh, I don't wear jewelry. And they were just like, I mean, I'm sure I was like, I'm allergic to metal, well, but maybe allergy. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, that one's on them, Alice. Sorry. That one is on them. <laughs> I love giving like thoughtful gifts. Like I want to give a gift that if I gave it to you, it's like the best gift ever. And if I gave it to somebody else, they'd be like, I don't get it. Like, and it makes you feel bad when you end up getting someone like a Starbucks gift card. Cause right. like, I ultimately don't know you. You were yeah. tangentially in my life. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's also like the, the, the true curse of like, if you're really good at getting people stuff and then they give you things you're allergic to, you're like, oh, this has just created a tense moment. Yeah. Yeah. One year I got jewelry that I was allergic to. Can't with this jewelry <laughs> and I was like bullshit. and this was like the second time this has happened and I was like oh. Oh. I felt so bad because it's also like you want me to wear this and I want to but it'll just burn and it'll be itchy and uncomfortable and then it was like hey what'd you get me and I was like oh well you've been talking for years about how you want to have a perfect Ghostbusters uh, costume so I bought you uh, the exact flight suit they have in the movie and I got you custom made patches and um, the fiberglass body for got a up. proton pack and then you're just like you got them that gift and they got you jewelry you're allergic to yeah and it was like I felt bad because my birthday was first so it was like you know like I, like I was like oh but I've already bought you this stuff like you don't even understand yeah. like I can't return it because I know you really want this stuff so I'm I, 
this is the the curse of like, I'm like, I, I don't need anyone to get me anything. And I would honestly just be happy with like, honestly, if someone just sent me postcards, I'd be like, you're the most perfect partner. Or scotch, just send you scotch. Honestly, time. scotch is great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I like time spent as a love language and like mm. words of affirmation. Those are the two things I want from a partner. Yeah. I don't have to get me anything. And I almost prefer they don't. <laughs> yeah. Do you hate, I feel like you would, you, I like getting gifts because I like seeing how people view me. Cause I think it says a lot about what they think of me. Honestly, I would be happy with them just writing a, a note about how they see me. I don't even need them to get me a thing, but <laughs> I would prefer a yeah. card most of the time. Yeah. To most gifts. Like, I love a good card. Oh yeah. Because like the thing is, I truly don't like having a lot of stuff. And the stressful thing is when someone gives you something and you don't want it, then you also feel like obligated to keep it. And then it's just like clutter. Like this is the best part of every breakup. It's always me being like, and now I get to friggin' donate all this to Goodwill because I <laughs> never wanted it at all. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. I'm, I'm such a hoarder that like, I'm always in my apartment being like, okay, I don't want so much stuff, but I, and if anyone gives me anything, yeah, immediately I, it has sentimental value to me immediately. And so I'm like, oh my God, I can never give this away. And like, if I give this away, that's me saying that I don't love this person or I don't care about this person, which is not the no. case at all. Because then I find out one of my closest friends, I find out like, I'll give her a card and I put a lot of thought into my cards and then she'll recycle them sometime, most of the time. And I'm like, what? To me, my heart is broken, but I'm like, oh no, that's normal. Like I have kept, I think every card my partner has given me, we have been together for so long. Keep some of them. Like I have a little box of like paper and like trinkets mm -hmm. that matters to me. And that's like my sentimental box. And then beyond that, I'm like. See, that's healthy. I think that is healthy. Especially like we live in Toronto. We don't have a lot of storage space. <laughs> That is healthy. Although like, I feel like the double-edged sword to this, especially like, ooh, I get rid of clothes. Like I'm always like, if a friend's like, I really like that dress you wore. I'm like, oh, you can have it. I've already worn it three times. You can have it. Um, but then it'll be like three years later. And I'm like, I should have kept that one. That one was really sentimental to me. Oh, There's only that, like yes. one that I truly regret giving away. Cause it was like this beautiful vintage thing that I gave to someone I barely knew, honestly. Cause we were at a clothing swap and they were like, they were very stressful, but stressed about not being able to get a dress. And I was like, mm, I have some stuff. Do you want to try it on? And she loved it. It looked perfect. And I was like, can hey, you take it? But then I was like, that one maybe was sentimental and I should have kept uh, it. Shout out if you know who you are, please bring it back. <laughs> I mean, oh my yeah. gosh. But also maybe they like gave it off to someone else and then it's like out in the world. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I've been to clothing swaps where like, a, like something of mine will come back through someone else. I'm like, where did you get this dress? And like, oh, this person gave it to me. I'm like, how did they get it. Oh, I love that. <gasps> That's so fun. I've never been to a clothing swap. It's so funny. I'm the opposite in that. Like I just like two years ago, I think it was, I cleaned out my closet to the point where like I had t-shirts from the sixth grade that I was like, but I remember that I wore this and it was a, and someone gave me a compliment and I felt really cool. So I'm going to keep it. The only thing I have that is that old is like some sports gear like I have like mm. I have the same Edmonton Oilers ball cap I've had since like 1991 oh. um and like I have some jerseys and I have some of my brother's jerseys because jerseys for some reason I have a hard time parting with even mm. though one of my Oilers jerseys I don't it's got to be from 2006 I don't remember what happened it has a great deal of blood on it and what? I don't remember like this would have been like it would have been the Oilers would have been like in the Stanley Cup final and I would have been like very, very young and not an experienced drinker. 
So you're like, I should remember. Like, I feel like I like fell down. I must've like fell down and been like, my nose was bleeding. I have no idea. Oh, did anyone borrow it maybe? I mean, I don't think anyone would give you back a bloody jersey. Right, that's so fair. That is so fair. I feel like if anyone got to, first of all, (laughs) I don't think I've lent that jersey out to anybody, but it also just seems like a very weird, like, I feel like if someone gave me back something of mine and it was covered in blood, I would have been (laughs) like, like, excuse me. shit. And like, what also, happened? are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, excuse me. This is a lot of like, it's more blood <laughs> than me. should be. Yeah. Okay. So coming back to Crawford, I want to ask. So now I'm thinking now in your career, when you book Crawford, you're in a place where you're feeling more like you're being authentic in your expression and like, you can just be yourself. So was finding out that you won uh, the Canadian comedy award for best performance in a TV series for Crawford. When you found out, that you, that you were nominated and when you found out you won, how was that in, in comparison to like these other sort of forms of validation earlier in your career when maybe you didn't feel like you were being as much of yourself? Um, I definitely, I, remember, I cried on stage. Like I cried Aww. aggressively on stage. Because <laughs> um, it was also like that award ceremony was in the second city, which is almost like a That's bit of like, so like a Waterloo, like here I am again. Um, <laughs> Uh, so it's very weird to come back to a place, a building that you have like mixed feelings about and a lot of them hard feelings. Like I think it, you know, when you graduate high school and like for the first like couple of years after you graduate, a lot of like you viewing your success is you thinking about how people who weren't kind to you will view your success Mm. and how you'll finally be viewed the way you've always wanted to be viewed. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like the second city for a long time replaced high school and being like the someday everyone here will care about me and then like mm. that got replaced by other things and like there's always someone who you're like I'm proving this to you um but the second city was that for a very long time for me where like a lot of my success was kind of like I wonder I like I really wondered if anybody cared and if it mattered and mm. if it was um yeah I know that's very weird and so childish but so to be in the second city and like standing in a place from like I stood on this stage so much and felt awful about myself. Mm. And I, I sat in this room and took notes that like didn't seem always fair to me and like had cast members say things that I didn't always um, think were appropriate for the workplace. And so to be in a space like that and then have an award, it's like immediately, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's very overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like... It's not like a huge award. It's not like it's not like I won a Nobel Prize. Like putting it in the context, but what what is significant to me about the Canadian Comedy Awards is that's decided by your peers. Mm. So as far as an award where, um, like a Canadian Screen Award, that's like there's a jury and you don't know everyone involved, and like somebody from like CBC Sports watches your TV show and decides if you're funny. Like it is that tendential where it'll be someone who's not necessarily in your field, but a comedy award is your peers. These are the people you are at the bar with, and so part of it, I'm like, mm, maybe it's a bit of a popularity contest. But then there's a part of me that's like, oh my god, I'm popular. <laughs> like there are two <laughs> options right now of I'm either popular or good at my job or possibly both. And mm. both of those things are kind of nice when you've always felt a little bit like mm, a care bear cousin to the scene. Like I've never quite felt like I'm one of the bears. I'm like a lion being like, I'm here. Um, hey. <laughs> yeah. So 
I don't know. The comedy award was, I, I did not cry when we won the screen award as an ensemble. Like that was a bigger award. And I did, I was like, oh, this is nice. But that one meant something to me because I'm like, oh, maybe all these people that I worry constantly don't like me at least find me tolerable. And that is <laughs> honestly as much as you can hope for. Can I just also, I just want to highlight that like earlier in the conversation, you're like asking me, like worrying that you're coming across as pompous. And now you're like, I won this award for my performance. And at least it means I'm tolerable. And I'm like, Alice, it means you're fucking awesome. Like, like, well, like you know, yeah. because they're the other nominees. I mean, they could vote for them. They're, yeah. But you I know? Also, yeah, there's like, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, I guess I'm always putting things in the context of like, what is the least amount they can mean? But yeah, I feel like ultimately, like, it's nice to win awards. Uh, but like, almost immediately after you win them, mm-hmm. they're just like, like, they never happened. It's oh. like, if you get like 100, um, if you were if you like a YouTube video, and 100 people said you're great, all it really takes is one person being like, they fucking suck. And then you're, you're demolished, right? Yeah. So as much as, much as an award is like, great, positivity and like belief in yourself is very fleeting as a performer mm. um which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing I think it keeps you working hard it keeps you chasing but it's also like yeah I mean I'm almost envious of people who have like this blind faith in themselves that they're great and they're talented uh like I've been in auditions with rooms and people who don't know what the fuck they're doing behave like they are so great and I'm like how like I <laughs> How? How are I you have been, doing that? Yeah. I have been, I, you know, when you're in an audition room and someone's like, they're like, they ask you to say your name and something about yourself. I have on multiple occasions been in rooms with people I have never seen before in my life. And they have said, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alumni of the second city. And I've been like, you're not. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, that's such a crazy lie to tell. Because I'm like, you're assuming no one in the room. And I have snapped and been like, uh, I'm Alice Rand, and this guy just lied. He does not work for the Second City. Okay. <gasps> no I- way. Have you actually? Yes, I've actually. Oh my god. That. Fucking right. And they're like, "How do you know?" And I was like, "Well, I was in their national touring company, and I understudied the main stage, and I never saw you." That's it. Yeah. Like, Na- I, name like, name a show because I put in the hours, and they were excruciating for my well, experience. I mean, so like, Turco is very light. Like. I have not put in the hours. Main stage works exponentially hard. Mm. Like I, I've not done that. So I'm always very like cautious of like a lot of times people will write that I'm a second city alumni. I'm like, can you just correct that? It's actually second city national touring company. And they're like, nobody cares. I'm like, well, but, um, (laughs) but so it's like when you see people like claim to have credits, they don't have. And I don't, Mm. I don't know if anyone does that with anything. I think it's like the only, I don't think I've never seen anyone be like, and I'm an alumni of Stratford. Um, like people see second city seems to be, yeah. The only thing people lie about, and I think it's they're like, oh, I took a class there, so I was on the main stage. Mm. Like, like that would be like maybe like I'm Alice Moran and I was in an off-Broadway play. It's called the Toronto Fringe. That's how off-Broadway it was, baby. <laughs> I did a second city cruise ship and we had to sign mm. a thing saying that we would not misrepresent our experience with the second city as having done main stage. It said that Ooh. we would we would say that we were uh, part of a second city theatricals show. Um, mm. so that's what, I, like, maybe that's why I'm like so persnickety. We've talked about so much about the second city, a place that I don't talk about. It's very interesting. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, you, I had to sign a contract saying that I would not misrepresent the second city at sea as being second city main stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very interesting and frustrating when I see <laughs> representing, like I did one show into my friends and family as being like, this is the same as, you know, so 
some of my friends, what they have gone through, going through that process of mm-hmm. like, it just seems like it's very emotional. Um, hilariously, that the, the second, it's hilarious that the Second City reality show didn't work out because it seems like it should. Wait, <laughs> I didn't know they were going to have a reality show. Were they really? They, they had one. Oh, they had one? Yeah, Kayla Lorette and Ian McIntyre was on it. And I think that is everyone that still does comedy. Oh my God. And it was like showing behind the scenes of like them creating? It was like the next Second City legend. And it was like an elimination show where like they were an ensemble, but every week someone got kicked out. Oh God, that sounds awful. Like to be a part of, I just couldn't handle that. No. I mean, it was very frustrating because you're like, how did Kayla not win? <laughs> right. Yes. I'm um, just hearing about this. I'm like, Kayla should win everything. Yeah, Kayla should win. Um, yeah, and that was like, so that had just, that happened like right before I auditioned for the Second City for the first time. And I remember actually, I got into a fight with my dad. He was like, you should audition for the Second City reality show. And I was like, I do not want anything to do with reality TV. And my dad was like, well, then you don't really want to be successful. And I was like- Oh, I've heard that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, like- it was a very weird thing. I was like, I want to get it regular. And I also like, I also, I have watched, I had watched enough America's Next Top Model to be like, I am not built for reality TV. I will be the person who everyone hates because I break down and cry. Uh, yeah, constantly. I'll cry. Like I, yeah. you can, you could crack me. Like in high school, I had a friend who figured out if you just asked me, are you going to cry like four times? I would just start crying. Oh, also that sounds so mean. Like, I mean, it, was, it is funny. And I get why once you figure <laughs> that out about a friend that you would do it constantly. Yeah, but uh, your poor heart, like, no, because I'm the same. I get so, if I get angry, I cry. If I get sad, I cry. And I get so annoyed that I'm crying that then I cry more. And I'm just like, and I want people to take me seriously. So then I'm like, imagine I'm not crying because I don't want you to feel bad for me right now. I want you to be intimidated because I'm mad. And I, Ooh, my worst talent is like in a fight, in yeah. a fight when I'm so mad, I just like pause. And then I just say something horrible that ruins some, but like I have people who have brought up to me things that I said to them like 10 years ago in a fight that they have like not gotten over. Oh, like I have said horrible. Like I just, it's a terrible skill when you're like angry and you're like, I just want to hurt you. And I want you to feel as bad as I feel like I'm yeah. just a very strange talent of being able to be like, and now you hurt this badly too. Uh, and it's something I have tamped down on. Like I've really just made myself leave the room because I'm like, yeah. I want to say this thing. Like I want to leave before I get to this point because I have done it enough times to enough people that I'm like, I could never be on reality TV. Because I would say something that people be like, mm. that person is an objective monster. Or they'd be like, oh shit, she got him. Either way, it would be good TV, but I'd like, there's, there's, you were either, I'm either such a villain or such a hero and there's no in between. Yeah. It's so polarizing. There's just no way you're at, and then also, or you could just be like falling apart, crying or the character. Yeah. That can just like, oh, what's she going to say? But then you're known for zingers and you're like, also, oh. honestly, uh, I also just was like, I, if I have a bad, if you have a bad audition, mm. move on with your life. I was like, what if I have a bad audition? And they air, like, I'm like one of those people on uh, like American Idol who come in and they're like, I can sing. And then they bomb. And yes. sometimes you can tell that they're not bad. And you're like, oh, you're nervous. And this just like, you got pitchy. And like the, the, whole, the more you, you just like started like panicking and struggling and making it worse. And I was like, I don't want one of my, like, I'm young and I'm having auditioned a lot. I don't trust my ability to do it on television. I mean, I feel like we all watch it and we're like, I could do that. Like, I know how I would. In my head, I was like, if I was a gay man, I would be so good on Drag Race. Like, I would be so good on Drag Race. But the reality is I'd be like 
I would, they would watch my audition tape and be like, this person is white bread. Goodbye. I'd never get on. I'd never be good enough. Who would you be but, in snatch game? Um, uh, I was thinking that like, if you could nail it, Catherine O'Hara would be very funny. Like if you're doing mm-hmm. Catherine O'Hara on Schitt's Creek, but I don't, I think now that has the penetration. I'm actually surprised no one did that on Drag Race Canada. I thought that would be like one of the dunks. I also thought someone, cause I was like Drag Race Canada, specifically the 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 option to do something that is so profoundly Canadian mm. like I thought someone was going to do um that clown that clown from that kid show who used to do the 10 second tidy oh my god um uh, 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 and Molly lunette. on the big yeah. yes lunette oh my oh, god I didn't even think a, of that you have a doll and you're like so sweet and every once in a while you say something so evil it would have been <laughs> like I think the totally. snatch, game is, snatch game when you look at it it's like it's not a matter of doing a good impression like if you can do impressions you're set because you don't have to do much but otherwise i think it's about finding like a game of the scene that you could beat the shit out of and then like four backups because mm. you watch someone like uh, uh priyanka god bless her had like one idea and it didn't work mm-hmm. and then flatline it has to be like you have an idea and if it's not working you just immediately go it and you're like okay here's game number two yeah yeah um, totally I think there's a difference with like, and Priyanka is so good at improv. Like I've seen Mark kill before. So yeah. I think watching that, I'm like, oh, this is one of those classic cases of like uh, structured improv is a different beast. Like when the bad dog used to do like parody shows, uh, those are weirder and more difficult because mm-hmm. like you have specific things that you need to do. And so snatch game is a weird thing. I think where you see people and they think I'm so funny and I'm good at improv. And they're like, why am I dying? Like, cause it's like 50% improv like you have to be able to roll with it but it's also like you kind of almost needed to write it sort of like Aquaria 100% wrote that Melania or something like mm. that, that was like so planned in advance that mm-hmm. it was bulletproof yeah you need to I mean even when people come on with props like very specific props to be a specific joke you do I and I think so much like 50% like you said can be improv but 50% of it is going to be planning ahead of time and planning your beats and like how you would heighten like how you would hit that game well like yeah, even just walking there's like always like they're gonna ask you like hey how are you or they're gonna yeah. ask you like hey what here's a like something that's obvious about that character so you have to have those responses and I think it is a matter of knowing them so well which is why it's better like I feel like people who pick those like weirder characters that you don't like uh, Edie from Grey Gardens was a great mm-hmm. one because you're like, even if you, like nobody knows that so well that they're like, here's this reference that you're not going to get. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they, they just like buy it. Can... They just trust you. They're like, okay, uh, I guess that's a reference. If you're Lunette from the Big Comfy Couch. So yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like a clown. Okay, fine. But then like, <laughs> yeah. you do it, they're like, is that something Lunette does? It's funny, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally you're like, I guess that is something that Lunette does. Like That's you so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like judge Judy is like, you have to be so, so smart and so, so talented mm-hmm. and know everything about them. And that's why, you know, you, that's an amazing, that's one of the best snatch kids of all time. But if you're not, if you're not confident that you're one of the best of all time, I feel yeah. like you got to pick something middle. Uh, God, that's like my fucking nightmare to do that. R- like any, any shows, like, you know, how it's like Riverdale improvised or like, I mean, there's been so many Gilmore, like anything. Mm-hmm. those are my most hair. I, I won't even, I won't touch those shows anymore. I got cast in one that was Star Wars where I had to play Princess Leia. And I don't think I've ever been so fucking stressed out as when I did it's, those three shows. Yeah, we did, when we were doing Game of Thrones at Bad Dog, I remember being mm. very stressed out because they're so limited by like the audience's expectations. Yes. You have to hit 
certain references so the audience feels satisfied in what you did, but then like you also have to like give them things they don't expect from that character. So it's just like it's it's difficult. It's a and lot there's... of work. It's a lot of work. You have to exactly like you said, you have to hit certain things to be like, see, I know what I'm talking about. And I want you to feel the familiarity of these characters, but then also you're not here for me to just like regurgitate the plot for you. So now I have to comment on it or I have to invent something that's smart and witty about these characters. And it's like, I don't know how to not get in my head in that type of improv. Yeah, it's a different beast altogether. It's um, it's more equivalent, I feel like, the skill of a panel show than it is like an improv show. Mm, yeah, totally. Oh, that's, yeah, that's totally. Oh, I wonder like, cause I've thought I've, I, there's been some reality shows where I'm like, oh, maybe I, I used to watch Top Model and I used to think like, I would love to be on. I have a dream of doing photo shoots, like of being the model in a photo shoot. I feel and like I, I genuinely learned a lot about like how to take a good headshot mm. from America's Next Top Model. Like her, all of her bonkersness of being like, you know, lie in a grave the day after your best friend died, Tyra Banks, like actually did teach me some things. Yeah. Like I did, I feel like you do get some sense of like, you know, just finding your light. Like I have definitely been like in a group shot of people <laughs> being like, where's the light, where's the light? Oh, here we go. Light. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. like tilting, like learning, you're like standing in front of a mirror the day before you do headshots of like, what is the angle? You take um, such good photos. Like, oh my God. Oh, I you, take many more bad ones. Um, you, <laughs> you nail photos. And like you, what, what was a photo I just saw the other day? Oh, I saw this one and like you were, it was a tweet that you tweeted, posted, whatever. And it was like, you were in this beautiful red dress. It was from January. You were going to like a ball and you took this photo and oh my God. First of all, also you can, you can pull off like every hair color. It's, it's remarkable. That it's is like, yo, this is the thing about pulling off a hair color. The mm. secret is your eyebrows. Also, you have incredible, you have prolific eyebrows. I think I'm using that word right. Is that like legendary? Is that like a synonym for legendary? Prolific is like if you wrote a lot of books. Uh, oh, fuck. fuck my life. Okay. Like prolific is like if you did a lot, but like, like okay. yeah, I do a lot with my your eyebrows. eyebrows sure. yeah, that makes sense. Your eyebrows are very well read. Okay. They have read a lot of books and they're legendary. Okay. So the key is the eyebrows. So yeah. like so if you tinting your eyebrows. Yeah, like, um, so I, one time I dyed my hair brown and I left my eyebrows red and I learned a lot. Um, <laughs> learned, learned a lot, lot. that time. Learned yeah. a lot, learned a lot. Yeah. It's in my passport. I can't escape it. It's there. Um, <laughs> no, of course. But like, uh, yeah, I feel like a hair color is like, it's not even just the hair. I think, I think the reason most people think they can't pull off hair colors is because they don't realize that you have to shift your, the way you do your makeup, the way, what clothes you wear. Like if you wanted to be a redhead tomorrow, your wardrobe is going to become monochromatic because it's very hard to be a redhead and wear anything but like white, gray, black. I was at an audition and someone, I was like sitting next to another redhead and someone's like, oh my God, it's so funny. You're both wearing a denim shirt and black pants. And I was like, that's what redheads wear. And the girl next to me, the other redhead was so annoyed. She's like, no, we're not all the same. And I was like, girl, um, if another redhead were sitting, I guarantee you it's going to be a denim shirt and like, yeah. or maybe she'll have denim on the bottom and black on the top. She's yeah, sassy. exactly. She's like, um, uh, we're not all the same. You're like, you're wearing denim on the bottom and black on top. We're the same. It's like, come it's on, we're like, fraternal twins. Let's go. Redheads wear the same like color palette. And like, you go watch like a, like a YouTube tutorial on how to do your Katie Heron eyeliner. And she's like, that's, and then you got it. That's all it. And then if you want to be a blonde, it's like another set of clothes because like certain colors look good and certain colors look bad. Like pulling yeah. off a hair color is just committing to it's everything. 
That, I love that. I, w- I was blonde for a number of years, but I left my eyebrows dark and I didn't mind. Like I liked the no, contrast that, that's of a it. Look. That cute. I was totally, but I think it's actually, and you were someone, I was working in casting. I was running a casting session for a commercial and you came in and I can't remember whether you had just gone red or you had just gone blonde, but you had just dyed your hair a different color. And I noticed and I, and we were chatting and I was telling you about it, about like blonde and, and dark eyebrows or whatever. And I was saying that it's just, I think I, it was really hard for me to get auditions that way because basically like it, it doesn't look natural, which I didn't care. I liked it, but I'm not going to be in anything. That's a period piece. You know, I'm not going in for like, I a, yeah. work so much less with red hair and it's like, really, a real, yeah, it's like, it's the least bookable, like brown hair and blonde hair. I worked a lot, lot more, um, which is frustrating. Cause I'm a natural redhead. And so like watching people dye their hair red and then book work. I'm like, I'm oh, <laughs> <laughs> so frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah. Um, but like, I think the most commercial version of me is blonde. Like, I think the version of me that works the most, like if, if in six months, if like the world hasn't picked up, I might go back to blonde just cause like, I'm pretty sure I will immediately book like, but I also think if you dye your hair or cut your hair or do anything drastic to your mm. hair, you will book something very quickly after doing it because like you walk into a room and everyone's like oh yeah I've seen Amanda before she's gonna come in brown hair but if you came all of a sudden and it was like this like purple bullshit they'd be like it's Amanda but with different hair oh all right I wonder something about it you know it's familiar but it's interesting like it's yeah it tweaks people's brains so I feel like dyeing your hair is like a cool way to make your career kind of do something that's so interesting I I also wonder too like when you dye your hair. I mean, if you like it, but when you, when you get anything new done and you feel good about it and you feel fresh and you sort of feel like, Oh, there's something different. Like, I think there's a little, <laughs> whatever this dance is, there's a pep in your step. I've come in and be like, I fucking hate these bangs. I just cut and people <laughs> are like, this girl forever. And I'm like, what? No, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. I actually remember years ago, you had posted something on Facebook. Like, you know how we all post like, Hey, what's a good book to read? I forget what you posted, but it was something, something like that. And then in the comments, someone had suggested, um, maybe you were looking for like, Hey, does anyone have fun new workouts to do something like that? Or like a fun class to take, like a fun workout class or something. And someone was like, just don't work out. Like, you know, you don't, you don't need to. And you, you commented, you were mentioning something about like, you notice that when your weight changes, you book less or you book more. And I remember you're a person where like with the hair color or weight or anything, having these conversations with you is sort of the first time that I've thought about it. And I've just been really impressed that like, fuck, you're so self-aware. I want to be that. I want to know when I book things and when I don't. Um, it's, I mean, like there was a while where I was like meticulous about it, where I would like track what I did with my hair, what I was wearing, my weight, which I've stopped doing. Cause I think that's bad for my mental health. Yeah, Cause totally. I definitely noticed that I think actually this is the way that I previously tracked is my least bookable weight. Uh, because there's like, if I'm a little bit heavier, then I'm funny. But if I'm a little bit less heavier, then I'm pretty, uh, which is so upsetting to oh, know. Like, yeah. Having like a bookable weight, ideal bookable weight, like that, that that's, and I'm saying like, that, like, you're not creating is, that, that, that that's this just is, such bullshit that that's a thing. Yeah. Right now I'm like, I'm the natural thing that my body is without me killing myself or being in like a bad mental space where I like eat garbage and don't work out and cry. Um, 
which is an upsetting thing, but the most interesting, the thing, the thing that broke me out of the weight part of it, because I was like, for a while, I was so obsessed with the weight aspect. Because mm. uh, I, I even had a producer tell me when I went down to LA, he was like, I think you could be really successful here. And it was a really productive conversation. And I was so excited. And he was like, you're going to have to lose weight. And at the time, it was probably be about 130 pounds. So it was already like pretty, pretty thin for my height and age and humanness. Um, yeah, humanness. So- yeah. So I was like, Oh, well, I, if I lose how much weight and he's like 10, 15 pounds. And I was like, okay, well, if I lose 10, 15 pounds, I'll be, you know, um, I'll be five, 10 pounds underweight. And he was like, look, I don't want to tell you, I'm sure you're skinny in Toronto, but in LA, you're not. <laughs> I'm um, sure you're skinny in Toronto. And it was such oh, like a weird, like I was so damaged by it. And then like maybe a month later I was at Dale Boye's clothing swap. <gasps> Full and circle. We were, we were talking about just like auditions and stuff. And she was like, oh, I've been like tracking all summer, like what people book in. And girls always book when they have like a bird shirt. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you know, like a shirt that's like patterned and has like a bunch of birds on it. And I was like, that's not real. And she's like, I've got a shirt with birds on it. And I booked a bunch of stuff. And I was like, that's bullshit. So it was a clothing swap and there happened to be a shirt with a bunch of birds on it. And I took yes. it and I wore it and I booked five things in a row. What the fuck? Does, and so, so like my brain was like <laughs> melted. Like at this point I was just like, how? Um, and then I was like, oh, it's bullshit. Like all of this is bullshit. Like me tracking my weight, caring about my hair, trying to be anything. Like it's literally this... Yeah. Somehow I have found a shirt that the audience, the audience, the, um, the casting is like, oh, this girl seems very like chill. And I just can't put my finger on why it's nonsense. It doesn't matter. Oh my God. see, this is the randomness you're talking about. It's just like, because you know what, for a year it was probably a bird shirt. And then the next year it was probably polka dots or floral or something. It was stupid. It is that, that, like, once you get it in your head that it is that, like, there's an element of random that you don't understand unless you're Dale sitting in the room going, why is it this girl? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Dale trying to find like the common denominator and then landing on its bird shirts. Uh, and it, it, <laughs> honestly, it could have been like a psychosomatic thing where I walked in being like, I'm in my bird shirt. And maybe yeah. the first one I like happened to book it with like two, three, four, five was absolutely, I walked in being like, I have this fucking unstoppable shirt, motherfuckers. (laughs) Totally, totally. When you stopped booking with the bird shirt, were you just like, okay. I gave it to someone else. I was going to say, she's gone now. She's off at a different clothing swap. I I went to a different clothing swap. I think I told the person that I booked so much in this and they took it because of that. And I never followed up. Um, Because I don't even think I knew them that well, but I was just very like transparently like, I booked so much work in this fucking shirt. What if this shirt is like the reason so many people are getting work for like I mean, since you booked and onwards? It lives out in the world. Like somewhere that shirt <laughs> exists and someone's like, wow, every time I go to a bar and I talk to a guy, they're like, oh, I love her. Let's get married. Like, someone <laughs> is like reaping the words of this traveling pants ass shirt. Yes. Yes. This but freaking like, shirt. It was, it was uncanny. It was insane. Like, I think I wore it to maybe like, 20 auditions in all and I don't think I didn't get called back on a single one of them or like I was put on hold for tv shows in it like it was like it was 
unbelievable. And I think part of me getting rid of it was like proving to myself that I was a better actor than owning this shirt. (laughs) I'm a better actor than a bird. Like I don't need a bird shirt. I got this. I don't know. Once you put in your head that there's like, I have been in, I've been on the other side of casting now. Like I've been a writer as well as an actor. And so I have heard the insane reasons. I have yeah. now heard some of the insane reasons that I didn't book something because mm. I was a writer on a show. I went out for a part on the show. I didn't get it. And the showrunner told me what the network said about me. And I was like, once you know this stuff, you're like, oh, it's all meaningless. I did not book a part on a show that I wrote. And I wrote the part for actually Liz, but she was out of town, so she couldn't do it. So they were like, let's see Alice. <laughs> I did not book it because they, the guy thought my hair looked too much like a wig and he was concerned that it was actually a wig. And I was like, thank you, actually, honestly. <laughs> what a compliment. That my very, hair was awesome. Yeah. I had hair extensions at the time. So I'm like, you're not a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> That's very Amanda, easy to find out. Amanda though, Barker ended up, yeah, Amanda Barker ended up booking that part. Oh, great. Amanda Barker. Yes. Great. Yeah. <laughs> lovely Amanda Barker, who yeah. I was in Spank with and who I have, yeah, who was there at the moment of me learning about Burchards. <laughs> um, oh my God. It, it's like, so I think too, it can be easy to find this like randomness, like when it really sets in, when you really learn it for yourself, because everyone tells you like, oh, it's random, blah, blah. But when you really see it for yourself, I think it can either be really frustrating for me. It is frustrating, but it's often more like more freeing. Cause I think, Oh, all this shit I'm trying to control. I don't need to like, well, I, it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter anyway. All of the major TV parts I've ever booked. Um, something fucked up has happened to me at the auditions or like immediately. Like I have been fucked up every single time. And I've left those rooms being like, there's no way I'm, it's not happening. Like, I'm so sure. And then those are the things I booked that I'm at the point where I'm like, I, it's actually a good omen to me if something horrible happens. Oh, like for Sunnyside. Yeah. Um, my callback for Sunnyside, I walked in the room and the casting assistant said, everybody, this is Ebony Rosen. And they all went <laughs> up. And then I walked in the room and they went, oh. And I was like, Oh, so Ebony's booking this and they're just like having me in. Yes, for fun. Great. Whatever. Like, I don't care. Here you go. Here's my audition. Goodbye. Like, I just like, I was like, whatever. Um, And then Crawford, both auditions were bad. The first audition, I was like sitting in an empty coffee shop and a man's like, can I sit here? And it was like empty. And I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) And then he's like, started trying to talk to me. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I actually can't talk right now. I'm like trying to learn my lines. And he's like, kept talking. And I was like, sir, I'm, I, I have like 10 minutes to learn like five pages. I really am so sorry. I cannot talk to you. And then he's like, do you think you're fucking so beautiful? And I was like, what? And he's like, you stupid fucking cunt. I'm going to kill you. And he started just like, oh my God. And so then I went like to Stephanie Gorin's and I was all like fucked up. And I walked in and they're like, I was all like, they're like, are you okay? You don't look good. And I was like, I explained to them what happened. I was like, this guy like followed me and was screaming at me and like was harassing me. I'm like, what do you want to do? And I was like, honestly, I don't want to do this audition. I just want to go home. Yeah. Oh, like, good for you. We're here. And I was like, they're yeah. like, you're here. And I was like, I don't know if I know the lines. And they're like, just do your best. So I get called back. My callback was two hours before my international flight to Paris. Oh my God. Um, so like, I get there and like, I don't know if you've ever been to like Stephanie Gore and has like, sometimes you do auditions and it's like in the basement of her house. Oh no. So you do like, you're in the basement and like, it's like a, like a proper setup, but the walls are just that much thinner and you can hear 
the other people. So I listened to like three people do their auditions and like I had like slept on my neck weird and I like, couldn't like twist my neck and I'm oh. like and I'm like I have my like suitcase to go straight to the airport and I'm just like yeah. I am like a ball of stress of like I did not I slept weird because I'm stressed and I'm listening to people I know who are better actors that who have like had better who have gone on to have better careers than me like lord um I'm listening to the people murder and I'm like and the main thing I've noticed in listening to three different actresses going before me they had all made a very the same choice and it was this very very opposite of what i had been doing and i was oh, like oh god oh no so I get in and i'm so stressed and i'm like at this point i'm like i have to go to the airport right now like if i don't leave right now i'm not gonna make my flight Fuck. so i'm in there and stephanie Gordon's like okay stop we'll take it again all right stop we'll take it again so like the first scene like we start and stop like 15 times until we get all the way through and then we do the second scene and like i'm like gosh, she coaches me through this one. I'm not gonna make my flight and do it once. And she's like, you know what? That was it. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, she's just decided I'm not going to get it. Like, right. She's, yeah. She's doing me a courtesy if she knows I'm going to miss my flight. Yeah. And she's just like, you got, you were, you're, that was good. And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you can go, you can go, you can go. So I leave, get on my flight. I'm just like, ah, I'm going to, this is, oh, this is an insane story. Actually. Um, on my way home from Australia, like two years before I lost my lucky Jersey. And like, uh -huh. as we were like pulling off like the tarmac, I was like, oh no, I left my jersey in the airport. Oh, but I'll figure it out. By the time I landed in Beijing, Sunnyside had been canceled. <gasps> so I was like, my lucky jersey. And so I spent like a whole year trying to find it and then like trying to find a replacement. And then like it came the day before uh, that Crawford callback. And so I like slept in it and I went through my whole routine. It was like the jersey I was wearing when I like got hired for the second city. It was the jersey I was wearing when I got hired for Spank. Like I had like my whole career had happened in this jersey and I lost it and then I got a replacement. And so <laughs> I wore it to the airport out of like sheer like I'm insane. It was also like, it's not real. This luck isn't real. This is a psychosomatic bird shirt bullshit. Bird shirt, I was gonna say, yeah, this is a bird shirt jersey. So I'm wearing it. I get on the flight. I land in my stopover in Amsterdam and I have a voicemail from my agent and he's like, okay, you're on hold. They're not sure if you're the lead or if you're going to get a bit player part, but the <gasps> director really, really likes you. And it's one or the other. So you're either going to have an entire series or one day. <laughs> so it's like a very stressful thing. And then it actually handed out that another girl got the one day, like another girl had gotten basically the same call, call of it's going to be one series and one day. And I'm like sitting in my jersey and I'm like, oh my God. Just I'm holding jersey. it so tight. Uh, and then I had like my next flight and I landed in France and I was like, I didn't have like data or anything. And my dad had, I was meeting my dad and my stepmom because they were living in France at the time. And I was like, can you tether me? <laughs> I, can I have to know. Check my email. And so I was just like, it took forever and then like I was just like sitting in this like car and I was like telling my dad the story and he was like yeah so I like have the superstition that my jersey's lucky and my dad's like this is the stupidest like, like <laughs> what's wrong with you and like he's just kind of mocking me and I looked down and I was just like I I booked this tv series and I was just like sitting in France so exhausted and sleepy and so like I had this true paranoia where I always have that I always have that jersey with me when I travel now and I like double check my bag it's like now become like a problem <laughs> yeah, but it works. That's the issue. That's the thing yeah. where it's just going to keep, keep becoming, it's going to just going to stay a problem because it works. It became a thing where like now my family, uh, whenever if they like, it was like a standing thing of like, if you see like a 2006 Ryan Smith, Edmonton Oilers Jersey, you have to buy it. And so now I have like a bunch, like it's a problem. 
works that well uh, last few years, but I'm like very sure like the next thing in my life that I'm like determined that I need to book it will 100% happen in that fucking jersey like yes it's so insane but I'm like what's meant for you won't go by you but shows get canceled when I don't wear this shirt so I have to- <laughs> oh my god shows get canceled it is it's like the new bird shirt but even more like it's yes. even more powerful it's magical well, I think like uh, there's so much randomness in our industry that like just mm-hmm. uh, ascribing a certain amount of sanity to it. Like a lot of people we know are like very into like astrology. And I think mm-hmm. that's like ascribing, um, trying to create logic from random. Mm. So I think we're all just constantly trying to be like, everything is bullshit and random and nothing happens for any particular reason. So you try to invent meaning for things and reason and rationale. Yeah. So there's no chaos. And so you can feel a little safe and you yeah, can predict well, some things. Like 2020 is a nightmare and you're like, it's meant <laughs> yes. for something else. Yes. Oh my like, God. Yeah. This year is necessary for something else. like truly next year, something will happen in your life. And you'll be like, that wouldn't have happened if 2020 hadn't happened. And then you will mm. ascribe this meaning to this year that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just constantly like, <laughs> awful things happen. And then later you will justify them with something else. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You'll say everything's made, you know, there's always a plan or everything happens for a reason and you'll, you'll, you know, you'll justify it. And I'm like, okay, it's true. Like you are the sum of your experiences. And so like horrible things will happen in your life and they will make you a version of you that is succeeds in other aspects. Mm -hmm. So you will describe meaning to those horrible things because you are who you are because of them. Like, Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of don't have another, you kind of like, don't have any other choice, you know, like, yeah. Well, like people always say like, no regrets. I think like for the longest time, I think I thought that meant that you lived like a perfect life where nothing Mm. ever went wrong. But I think no regrets means like getting to a place where all of your mistakes, you recognize that they are a part of the version of you that succeeds. Yeah. Kind of. That's, I know that was like very hokey and like weird and spiritual, um, but it like comes from a place of like, I don't know, I had like a couple, like a couple of like back-to-back very rough goes in my mm-hmm. early twenties. And I was like, I can never, I was, I think the reason I was like sad about them is because it meant that my life was never going to be perfect. Like, like mm. you're like, I will never be Me- Meghan Markle. Cause this would never happen to Meghan Markle. So I yeah. will marry a prince and my life is going to be trash and like, what? Um, like it taints them in a way. It's like, well, now yeah. that these happen, now the my life is tainted and it won't ever be this thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, like, I got really hung up on the idea that if I had made one mistake in my life, that somehow that would unravel my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, or that like, if I couldn't be good now that I won't ever be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like coming to this other side and being like, those things that were bad, those things that were hurtful, those like negative experiences, you almost don't, you're almost, I'm not upset about them so much anymore because I think they happened and because they happened, I had like um, an empathy I wouldn't have had for those situations and other people. And they like lend a kindness to you and a softness that you otherwise, like maybe you would have just like, you need experiences that are good and bad to make you a person who is able to relate to other people who have had good and bad experiences. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you spend your whole, like I spent my whole, I'm, I'm still breaking out of it, but like spending so much of your time trying to be, oh my God, I'm like, see, I'm so regressed that I'm like hitting my microphone, uh, spending so much time, like trying to be 
perfect, like the perfect friend, the perfect actor, the perfect daughter, the perfect blah, blah, all the things. Yeah. And then you sort of, you know, and then, and then you see people celebrating their imperfect self and you feel so resentful because you're like, why is that being like, why is that, why is that being, um, valued and why is that being adored? And then you, you know, you find it, oh, perfect people. Oh my God. I'm literally quoting Flo and Joan. Perfect people are boring from one of their songs. Well, like, look, how many times in this conversation have you been like, oh, do I sound like an asshole? I hate myself. Like that is being a person is being yeah. Like, yeah. Like, now I'm stupid and people are going to listen to me and they're going to think I'm stupid and bad. That <laughs> yeah. is being a person. Another mm. thing that someone, uh, Tess Dagenstein mm. once said, um, that she doesn't view jealousy as a negative emotion because jealousy is just like the initial response. And like what you do with it is you can either become bitter or you can use it as inspiration. Mm. And like, that is such like a, like a, a click in my brain of like, you see something and it makes you jealous and you feel negative about it. That's you're choosing that like to a certain extent, like you can watch someone have something that you want and be like, Oh, there's a path to what I want. Or you can be like, you can see someone have something that you want and be like, fuck you, I hate you. And I want to ruin everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. I've always thought jealousy, like whether it's in a romantic context or platonic, I've always seen, first of all, I always got frustrated. Like when I was younger and if I had boyfriends and they got jealous, cause right away I was like, that's fine, but that's your problem. Not my problem. Like that's yours to deal with and not mine. And when I'm jealous of people right away, I can identify like, oh, this is my insecurity. It's not what they're doing. And I'm like, okay, what do they have or what are they doing or what are they allowing themselves to be that I'm not? And why don't I just do that? But that it's so, it's so fucking easy it's, to say. It's, it's such a crap emotion that like definitely considering, especially lately, like I went out with a friend a couple of weeks ago and she just um, went through all of the stuff that like colleagues of ours had looked in the last couple Ugh. of months. And I was like, oh, I have not been doing that well. And it just like, and like, so initially you get like really bummed about it, but like, what are your options? You can sit there and be sad or you can be like, fuck that. I'm going to try to do something about it. Like that's, yeah. those are your only two options at any point. Mope about it or move on. And I think the moping is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend, um, or a friend of mine would sometimes used to put time limits and be like, hey, be sad for the day. Be sad for 20 minutes. Be sad for like whatever amount of time she designated that whatever had happened warranted. And mm-hmm. she's like, and after that, we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to move on with the fucking day. And I was like, oh, that is a really good framing device because like, it is very easy to get caught up in your negative emotions because they are, um, self-sustaining positive emotions, anything successful that happens to you, it happens, you're great. And then you move on, Mm -hmm. but a negative emotion, it's easy for you to add to that fire yourself Mm -hmm. and just spiral. Like you just spiral, especially too, because I'm thinking like, we've talked about so many forms. Okay. So in, in this, in like wanting to be a performer, an actor, a creator, it's like, okay, well, how do I know what is success? How do I know if I'm doing it? How do I know if I'm doing well? And those sort of markers, okay, what are they? They're getting a callback. They're booking a a job. They're winning an award. Okay. But you book a job and you're told, um, you're only there because you're pretty, you win an award, but immediately it feels like it goes away. You have a callback. You feel awful afterwards. It's like, how the fuck do I know if I actually belong here, if I'm doing anything like where, where do you get that confirmation or that validation at all for yourself? Um, oof, that's an interesting, uh, <laughs> psychological question. Um, I feel like on some days I, I'm able to like, look at objectively, look at what I've done and be like, I've done well. I know a lot of you who work very hard and have not had the same amount of success as me. Therefore I must be doing something 
okay and or be incredibly lucky probably both honestly mm-hmm. i think it is um i have a very i think i'm decently talented i think i'm moderately attractive like not so much that you're like holy shit that woman but like enough that you're like okay she on tv uh <laughs> but at the end of the day what i always come back to of what when i try to figure out like why do i have more than other people i think if objectively if i look at the reasons i have booked things i have booked a great deal of things based on the fact that people like to work with me Mm. Uh, which doesn't necessarily indicate that i'm talented but um if you ask anybody who works in film if you had to work with someone who thought was the greatest actor on earth or someone who you thought was moderately uh like moderately good at their job but you could spend 20 hours with them without wanting to choke them Mm. um they will always pick like someone who um is kind so i think if if you had to be anything, like if you look at this, like a triangle of working and there's yeah. like talented, uh, easy to work with and like dependable, mm-hmm. you want to be two or three, but, and a lot of people can get away with being just talented. Like you hear like stories, like I, someone told me a story. I worked with someone last year who told me a story about Russell Crowe punching a horse. Um, I can't imagine being so talented that I could punch a horse in the face and people and be like, you'll be like, well, that's, that's the, like you can be so talented that it overwhelms, but eventually it catches up that people are like, we don't want to work with someone who punches a horse. Um, and I think in comedy, there's people who I think are um, equal horse levels punches. of most of the things I I, I am. Mm. Like, I, honestly, I think there, there's a couple who I think are more, more attractive, more funny, more all of the things that are generally successful. And I just have a reputation of being much more like, uh, hey, I'll show up to work. I won't be a problem. I used mm. to be a problem. Like when I was 20 and crying all the time because I was like trying to be this um, weird version of me that was what I thought was palatable. Like that person, you know, can only work in theater. Crazy people can work in theater. <laughs> um, but for film and television, to have a film and television career, ultimately it's just like you show up and you're tolerable. Mm. That's it. That's it. Like, it's, it's so true. It's so true. Cause anytime, anytime I'm wanting to work on a project and I want to put, you know, you want to put a team together, like, yes, of course I want people who are good at that role. I want a good cinematographer. I want a good director. I want a good actor, you know, but I want decent people. I want people because it's just, the work is too it's, hard. It's to not much, good people. Yeah. It's too much to have to do and also be on pins and needles. And I think we've all been in those things before where it's one person just like insists that their mood is the mood you all have to feel that day. Like if they're in a good mood, it's a good day. And if they're in a negative movie, every, uh, if they're in a negative mood, mm-hmm. uh, whew, what a Freudian slip. Um, I was just going to say, in a negative yeah. mood, it <laughs> yeah. like, rips through but like truly I think the bulk of the work I've had has been because people have had a previous positive experience with me and or asked someone about me and that was reasonably positive mm-hmm. um which is I'm, I'm proud of that because like yeah well, like when I was younger and I was in the second city and everyone was like she got fired she had a mental breakdown there was all these rumors about me what stung about those things is that people bought them that like there was an mm-hmm. idea that I could be this like emotionally unstable like and, and you know what, to some extent I was in my early twenties. Um, I had like a, like, a I was definitely a more manic person and I had some violent experiences with 
partners that made me not, and I didn't know how to cope with them. And it just turned into me like crying all the time. And like my rock bottom was probably, I was doing just for laughs in Montreal, which was like a childhood dream of mine. And I was miserable the entire time because I was just like the end of this like cycle of like someone being allowed to treat me horribly, like someone Mm -hmm. uh, letting someone be like physically and emotionally horrible. Um, and you, I think with this idea that like kind people work more, it starts with you being kind to you and being like, I don't deserve this. Like, you've got to get to a point where you're just like, I'm not going to let people tell me that I'm not good enough to be here. I'm not going to let people tell me what I'm worth. No kind person, no, there's no nice person on earth who ever works, walks up to you and says, Hey, do you know your shit? Like, like, <laughs> so true. So even like, true. Like, I know nice people who know people who aren't talented and they aren't like, yo, fuck you, kill yourself. Like, that's not, that's not their vibe. Um, They're not going out and telling them, hey, you suck. You're not talented. They're giving their, the best advice. They're maybe like mm-hmm. as kindly as possible trying to ease the transition into this might not work for you. Like, mm-hmm. kind people find ways to be kind. Um, that's it. So as long mm-hmm. as you can find a way to be kind to you as much as you possibly can, even though that's probably the hardest like everyone you're going to be kind to the person that you know is the shittiest is always you like whenever you think about you you probably don't think nice person because you can think of all the things that you have thought in your life that have been not kind Mm. you think i'm a bad person because like i saw this person on the street the other day and i was like what a fucking bitch ordering a pumpkin spice like you think shitty things about people constantly and so you don't feel kind um but the what matters is your actions your intent Mm-hmm. you're catching yourself being unkind and stopping that from ruining someone's day. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. That's all yeah. it is. And I think if you can do that, you'll have a career. I constantly worry, am I doing enough? Am I mm-hmm. a good person? Um, and I think if I'm being objective about my life, I think overall I'm a good-ish person. I'm as, uh, I'm like, obviously no one's perfect, but I think I, 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 I will give myself the credit of that I do try to go out of my way to be kind especially when I don't feel kind. Cause I feel like there's some days you wake up and you're just like, I could, I could destroy a person just cause I feel like shit myself. And I want, I don't want to be alone in my lo- Like ultimately like most shitty emotions are you feeling isolated. So when you're being shitty to other person, like another person, it's you wanting someone to feel the way you feel so that you don't feel alone. Uh, and recognizing that and trying to stop that is like 90% of being a human <laughs> or, or a good human. Ugh. I could talk to you all night, Alice. You're so, first of all, I think you are, I think you're a wonderful, I think you're way more than, what have you said? You said tolerable. Like these words where I'm like, you are selling yourself so short. I think you are, first of all, so much more talented than you're giving yourself credit for. And also just, I don't even know you that well. And I haven't even been around you that much. And I feel like kindness and consideration for other people just like oozes out of you. Like, I just think it's so um yeah like hey i'm gonna hate it you're gonna hate that no i hate it i also like (laughs) yeah i don't know um i'm very lucky to be from kind people who do their best and uh my brothers are like my favorite people and they're the best people i know so like i'm gifted i'm like gifted this like beautiful gift of family which i know a lot of people aren't Mm -hmm. and even in this pandemic i feel like my brothers have gone out of their way to be like 
so lovely in their own unique and strange ways. Yeah. That you're like, that's your specific language and I can translate that. I know what that means in my language. That's yeah. Wonderful. Like my youngest brother, my youngest brother has like a really good job right now. So like, I feel like he, like he, his thing this summer was like gave me a really nice birthday present that was very silly and stupid, but like too Aww. much money. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> cardboard cutouts to put at the Jays game, thinking that I would put myself on a friend, and I put um, my dog. You put your dog, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the Blue Jays are gonna send me those dogs. <laughs> that would have, like, two cardboard cutouts of dogs. Oh, that's gonna be. I can't wait to see the photos when you have those dogs. Oh, I'm so excited to oh. torment my friend's cardboard cutout of his dog, and just be like, "Oh, you think your dog's so good?" Because my dog sucks at fetch. It's a very like everyone knows. Wilson cannot catch and my friend's dog is very very good at catch so I'm just gonna like very excited to whip balls at it and have it not catch and be like oh is he so good look at him look at him get fucking wrecked by this ball (laughs) like oh my god that's amazing but that's 2020 also that like my exciting thing on the horizon (laughs) is throwing a ball at a cardboard cutout like what a year this thing I have thought a lot about Yeah. I feel like this year's encouraging us all to be like um in find fun in almost the way like a child. Like I, okay. So um when I was like really young, well my childhood most of my childhood was Alberta and so it was like St. Albert and Red Deer, and a lot of the things I found fun were just like things of like you live somewhere where you have to drive to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had like strange hobbies like rock polishing, and then like this year I'm like, yo. <laughs> Wouldn't it be sick if we polished some rocks? <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's that, and that's the sense of like wonder, like going back to just like simple curiosity. And that's something that I realized I was like completely not letting myself do. And weirdly, at the end of last year, beginning of this year, I was feeling so creatively like just dry and just like up against a wall a little bit. And then I got forced to be inside and I was realizing, oh, I'm just feeling, I'm having this anxiety that my, like my career's not going anywhere and I'm not doing all the things that I should do. Like I'm, I'm having those. So is that why you started this podcast? So I have wanted to do this for like years. Um, and I will like prepare to the point of paralysis. Like I won't actually start something because I want it to be perfect because if I put it out there, right. And it's not, everyone's going to be like, Oh, not even, I'm not afraid of being shitty. I'm afraid of being mediocre and people being like, oh, so that's forgettable. Oh my God. That is, okay, okay. (laughs) If you are, if you were an outright, if you outright fuck something up, you're rememberable. Yes. Being mediocre is terrifying because most people are. Like by definition, most people are mediocre. Um, So like a lot of the things I have been writing in the last few years, I've been obsessed with like, people write a lot about failure and success, but I don't think people write a lot about mediocrity, Mm. which is interesting because most of us inhabit it. So we're all trying to like, everything is the day of days. Something has to happen that is like this person's life change. And we don't tell a lot of stories about people who are ultimately like not special. And I think that makes the majority of us feel awful because like there aren't a lot of stories about like, like even like today, um, people freaking out about Chrissy Teigen posting that photo yeah. of her miscarriage. I'm so sorry if that was a trigger warning to anyone mm-hmm. listening to this. Um, what I found interesting about it is people like, how dare she? Like, how dare she like try to make this into a thing? I'm like, this is ultimately the most human thing. And the fact that we don't talk about these like experiences that are common because they're so common that they're like not worth telling mm-hmm. almost makes them 
interesting all over again because we don't we don't talk about this idea of like at some point in most people's lives you realize that whatever dream you had in your childhood is not going to happen. Like at mm. some point you realize you're not going to be an NHL player. Or you're probably not going to be in a Marvel movie. Like at some point in the those last- two of yours, two of yours where you're like, this isn't going to happen, I guess. You yeah, could be like, in a Marvel some- movie. I mean, I could, I could be like, but I'm never going to be like, I probably not going to be a hero. Uh, that time has passed in my life. Uh, I might be someone who's like, uh, excuse me, Thor. That's not how this works. Like that could be <laughs> what I do. <laughs> no, I, I could totally see you as a hero, but I also not to negate, I totally see what you're saying. I mean, I, when, yeah, when I, when I became, when I turned like 20 around then I was very sad, like, oh, I'm never going to be a teenage acting prodigy. That's dead now. Like, I, bye. yeah, no, I remember definitely passing the threshold where I'm like, whoa, I'm never going to be the yet youngest person ever or on Saturday Night Live. Like, yes, yes. Like, I'm like, never, yeah. I like, remember ugh. watching Jennifer Lawrence win an Oscar and be like, yes! why can't I be good? Um, yeah. It's so, <sighs> things happen where you're just, at some point you realize that you are not going to be the greatest of all time. Yeah. When your whole childhood prepares you for this idea of like, maybe you'll be great. Yeah. Um, and I stories about people just finding a life that has meaning to, like, you don't need a life that has meaning to anybody but you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this is a, a very strange tangent, but like uh, a couple of years ago, for the first time in a very, very long time, I went home to Alberta. I don't have any family there anymore. Um, we li- But I grew up there. And so like all of these things, I had like, a very tumultuous 20s uh and part of the reason i didn't go home to alberta is this idea that there's two things one was alberta was this magical land of my childhood and if Mm -hmm. i went back i would taint it with my who i am now so it was like i don't i don't want that i want it to be my perfect childhood um but then there was this other like idea of like you move to Toronto and you're like, I'm a Toronto person now and I can't go back. I have to move to LA. There's only forward and Edmonton yeah. is back. I'm already Toronto. I can't go back to Edmonton. And so I went back to Edmonton for the first time in like a very long time. And I realized I didn't want to live in LA and I didn't want to live in Toronto. I just wanted to have a reasonable, small life in the place that I loved. Mm-hmm. And then I'd been depriving myself this because I, the idea of being grandiose was more than being happy like I hadn't I when I imagined a big career I imagined like I have a like a page six breakup with a huge boyfriend and I'm <laughs> and we're divorced like I imagined the version of Hollywood that you see and mm-hmm. it occurred to me when I went home to Edmonton and I was just like in this place that I like being that I haven't really imagined versions of my life where I was happy I imagined like I have like a partner and we have children, but we're not together. And here's my girlfriend. And we're also like, like I imagined this like intense web of drama for my life and mm. never imagined like, what if I just like saved up and bought a house and was with someone who loved me. This oh. is what I now want out of life. And so before this pandemic, I'd already been like, okay, what if I could like do more self tapes and I could like live in Edmonton and just like have a small, like didn't have to do commercials anymore. I could just do like enough film and TV mm-hmm. that I could live in Edmonton. Is that possible? And I was working that out and then this all happened and that obviously set that plan back. But in some ways it's also accelerated the, actually I could probably still do commercials and live in Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, um, seriously. Yep. Cause I'm self taping for all of them. We don't talk about what if your life isn't a hundred percent, you're the most big 
thing in your field ever. Mm -hmm. And so it makes the idea of not striving that um, wrong. Mm -hmm. We define ourselves by career more than we define ourselves by like, you have a family and you're happy. Mm -hmm. And most people are those things. Like most people's like life is derived from like, the mother they are, the the sister they are, the best friend they are. But we don't show that. Like we show this like everyone's like on a red carpet. Like I like we I, don't I value like those job. things. Yeah. I like my job. I like going to tiff parties. I like putting on pretty dresses. But ultimately like our, those are very um you win an award like so circle back. Like you win yeah. an award and like it's great while you're on stage and the second you step off it's like that's it. It's over. It's done. Mm. Whatever it is, is done. So people will say congratulations to you for another like week and a half. And then like, it will be like, it never happened. Mm. But, like if you're like a good sister, if you're a good girlfriend, if you're a good best friend, that is like a, a crop that yields multiple harvests. Mm. I don't know. Like this year when I've like had a lot of time to reflect on like, what do I want once the world, is, if if and when the world is normal again, like what version of my life do I want? And like, ultimately I'm like, if I wasn't a Marvel movie, if I was something else, would I be happier or would I, would it, with my time, would I rather just be with the people I like? Mm. Ugh, sorry, I'm talking a lot, but like ultimately this year, I think I've come to, I would rather would be people <laughs> I love than yeah. anything else. So like at the end of the day, I've kind of come to this place where I'm like, so this is cool and I'm not going to say that I don't want it, but if I had to choose between being like, with being able to be with the people I love, it's just every single time it's people I love. Yeah. So I think if you're like trying to commodify your career and be like, is it enough? Am I enough? Is my acting enough? If I had enough success for me to say that I do this, like you probably need an, ex an amount of it to feel <laughs> like your career has meaning. Sure. But beyond that, it's bullshit. Like yeah. there's no amount of career I could, like you look at people who are at the very top and are they happier than you? Yeah. 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 It's such a, like, honestly, the, the, even just the way that you phrased it, like really set in for me when you were saying like, you know, you go up for an award and it feels great. And maybe it feels great for like, let's even get it, a, give it a little more life. Let's say like two weeks. It feels fucking awesome, you know, but me feeling like I am being an awesome like partner to my partner or a great friend or, or honestly, even a great to someone that I don't know that well, like just being great to them, that fulfills the fuck out of me. Like that feels so good. That feels like that feels way more fulfilling in, in it's, such a it's, deeper way. It's weed versus Coke of like, what makes you feel like Coke is like, Coke is like a hell yeah. And that's like, oh fuck. I don't want to kill myself. <laughs> uh, whereas weed is just like, everything's fine. Like everything's <laughs> fine. Like it's fine is good. Sometimes I'm a little nervous, but it's mostly fine. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that is so great. Weed versus Coke. I'm always going to think of my career as Coke now. Well, like literally, I feel like success in my career is like a high and then it's met with like expectation to be like, can I do it again? Like every time something good happens, I always feel like everyone's going to think I'm such a failure if I can't do it again. Uh, so like, you're like, well, what was it for? Like, first it was to prove I could do it. And now I have to fucking do it again. Like, uh, like I've had a couple of series leads under my belt and they're not enough. They're just not. And sometimes, sometimes I'm like, well, if I, what if I booked a U.S. lead? Like, what if I was a lead on this show or this mm -hmm. show or this show? And you're like, I don't know if that would be enough. Like, I don't, yeah. if I'm being honest, 
if I'm being like pragmatic and looking at everything I've had, I'm like, I don't think there is a job that could make me feel consistently fulfilled. Like yeah. I, don't I don't know what that would be. Like a job that you could like stop doing. Like, cause like, even you look at people who like book a huge TV show mm-hmm. and after that, there's this pressure of now you have to book another huge TV show. Yeah. Or now you have to, now you have to prove that you're not just going to do TV or you're not just going to do and people comedic make fun TV. Of, we mock people who have one big success in life. Like it's so hard to have one big success in life. And yet one hit wonder is this like, imagine, yeah. can you imagine tomorrow you release a song that everybody in the fucking world knew. And then everyone was like, well, if you don't release another good song, you suck. Fuck. Yeah. You're That's- right. It's just never good enough. That's so true. You're chasing a thing. You're chasing like this thing that you'll never catch up with. And so it's like, okay, what, what am I running? Like if I'm going to be chasing forever, if I'm going to be running forever, I better be running for a good enough fucking reason. And I'm not getting any good enough reasons yet. And literally your career is never going to be that like honest to God. I just, I truly don't know if there's anyone I can ever think. I don't really, I can't like Alan Alda is maybe the only actor I can think of who is fulfilled by his career. (laughs) And like he had a huge series and then he's just been like in some other things the rest of his life and he's happy with that because he seems to just be a happy person other than that other all actors seem to be like nothing is enough you win an (laughs) oscar and then you're like if i don't win another oscar then i just like marissa tomei and like what marissa tomei gives an amazing performance we all mock her what the and then she's just yeah i know the butt of jokes like people like it's like success invites more mockery yeah yeah because you have to like live up to something and then you're never and you're never going to be good enough for it susan lucci people mock susan lucci for being nominated for oscar after oscar and not winning and you're like she's consistently (laughs) one of the best actresses every year and we're all like fucking susan lucci never gonna win such a loser and you're like here's a true story Mm -hmm. we won our canadian screen award and i I got up on okay true thing do you know those shoes that you buy that you can like roll up and keep in your purse for when you're high heels? Yes. Great. So I was so sure we weren't going to win the Canadian Screen Award that I had taken my shoes off and I was wearing those <laughs> fucking garbage bags on my feet. <laughs> so when we won, I was standing on stage in my tippy toes trying to hide the fact <laughs> that I was standing in actual garbage bags. So like already this like moment of my life of like, I got this thing that I never thought I would get what a high is already like mitigated by the fact that I am standing in garbage bags. <laughs> we get off stage, they hand us champagne and we're like, whoa, it's so good. We're so good. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Then we go like, we go through the press room and the press room is like, there's a bunch of journalists and they're like, kind of ask you questions about like, what's it feel like to win? Are you happy? So there's like a person who liaises that and they're like, anyone have any questions for the cast and sunny side? Dead silence. Nothing. Like no one would even pretend to care that we were there. And it was such an uncomfortable silence that Rob couldn't handle it. And he's like, I'll ask questions. And then he like tried to do this like weird improv set where he was like, Pat, what's it like? And every, we were all like so deeply embarrassed that Rob was doing this and we all wanted to die. <laughs> oh, and so like, it was God. like, I went from being like, I just won an award and I feel so good about myself to no one gives a shit about me in the span of three and a half minutes. And then we went to a photo booth. We're like, let's take a photo of this winning cast. And I was like, what? Uh, I feel like shit. And then I got back to my seat and I had all these texts from this guy who had like previously been shitty to me. But he was like, hey, I see you on stage. He was also an actor. He's like, you look on stage. You look so beautiful. Um, you want to hang out after this? Oh, so you're not going to text me back? 
okay, so you win one fucking award and all of a sudden you're not going to fucking talk to me? Like this, it all happened. Uh, so oh like, I was like, God. the validation of a guy being like, the guy, someone who would hurt me being like, you're special again to me. And then already like, I'm fucking over you in the time it took me to get back to my seat. Oh my God. I don't know if I can handle ever winning an award, Alice. Like I can't handle that emotional roller coaster. It was all of that. So much. And then I was like, I got back to my seat and I was like, um, sorry, I didn't bring my phone mail to the page. I don't know if you noticed, there was no space in my dress for literally anything. <laughs> and he was like, lol, that was the response. And I was like, do you want to make out? And he's like, honestly, I feel kind of shitty after that experience. And I was like, oh, fuck off, dude. So I felt like yeah. the night I went like an Aids Grady Award, I just like went home like pretty early. And then I like had a bag for like winners that like give you a gift bag because you won but it's not the Oscars. Just let me tell you in advance. It's not the Oscars. <laughs> there were some good things in it. Like, I feel like there was like a gift certificate I never used. But the thing that I pulled out of the bag that I was like, oh yeah, immediately I know exactly who I am. It was a bag of quinoa, like a Walmart brand of quinoa. <laughs> like, it's like someone just went to Walmart and bought a bunch of Walmart brand things and put them in the bag to like fill them out to make it look like a bunch of sponsors gave a like, shit about this. Heavier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just had this like Walmart band of Kiwa. And so I like came back to this apartment and this, at, this is a family. My mom owns this place. Uh, this is too nice for me to own. Uh, my mom owns this place. My little brother was living here at the time. And I was like, I came back here because I was just like, it was closer than going all the way back to my fucking apartment. So I kind of sleep on the couch and like my gown. I was like, I can't. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, do you want to go through my like winner's bag? And he was like, is this Walmart quinoa? And it's like, fuck off, man. Like I've already had a fucking night. Like I, I can't handle another thing. I don't need you being like, this gift bag is bullshit. Like I, I like I, <laughs> I truly cannot. Oh my god! Like we are in Canada. It is this. And look, the thing is, even if you were in Los Angeles and it was like, whoa, an iPod. Yeah. Then, like, you're not gonna wake up the next day and be like, oh my god, I was nominated for something. It was given an iPod. Is not gonna like fix the time no. you liked someone in the fourth grade and they said you were gross. Like nothing fixes you. <laughs> is there like the whole message of life? The only thing that can fix you is you and no, nothing that you ever do will fix yourself. Oh my God. That I owe you for therapy right now. That is the most wise thing. That's so true. I think you always think there's going to be a moment where something you get or do will make you feel like something else that you feel pain about is yeah. not going to matter. It's not. It's just never going to. Yeah. You just have to put in the work. You have to put in the work, you yourself or you and your therapist or whatever works for you. And you just have to put in the work and it's going to take a long time and you just got to go through it. That's all of life is like, you just have to accept that it's happening. Okay. Well, to wrap up, I do want to ask you a little weird question that I have a little fun question. I know you love Pokemon. Yeah. I know you're into like Pokemon go. Maybe yeah. still, I don't know. But okay, this is my question. So uh, Pokemon like spirit animals, if you consider them animals. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering who is your Pokemon spirit animal? Beedoof. Okay, hold on. I need to Google. <gasps> oh my God, Beedoof is so cute. It's like a oh stupid, it's a, like it's no. like an aggressively stupid oh. beaver. It's so cute. <laughs> like a couple years ago for family day, I commissioned a portrait of my brothers <gasps> and I and a bunch of Beedoof. Oh, the, categor the category is plump mouse. Oh my God. I fucking love Bidoof. Uh, okay. So my question, okay. So your spirit animal. And then I was wondering, okay, so before this conversation, we've had maybe a handful of like 30 second conversations after us chatting 
Who would you say my spirit Pokemon is? Um, oh, this is a tough one because it's like okay. really looking into someone's soul. I know. Like, what? It, okay. Um. Oh God. What's I'm it nervous. <laughs> I'm gonna say. Okay. So you're gonna evolve eventually into Swana. Swana. Fuck Swana yeah. is this like beautiful like swan Pokemon. But I don't think, I think if I said that to you right now, you'd be like, I don't feel like Swana. So which means you would be duckling right now, which duckling is this like very fun, very cute water type. Duckling. Oh wait, I literally just searched ducklings and like really cute little ducklings popped up. Maybe you type in Swana and then it'll, I think it's called duckling. Oh, I put in, I put in like duckling Pokemon. Oh, duckling is super cute. And just like. Duckling is like a very like. I like know who I am, but the ultimate form of me comes later. Oh my God. I love you. That is great. Okay. Do you know that I took a quiz to see just so I could be like, oh, I'm curious if it'll say, and it said I was Evie. Evie is like an unlimited potential Pokemon because Evie can uh, yes. evolve into so many different things. Yeah. I, like, I feel like calling someone Evie is almost a cop out, but Swana turns into this like, like very like obviously like like a beautiful and good pokemon and duckling isn't not good but duckling is still being like you know it still wants the experience to become yes duckling is on the precipice there are very few people like i wouldn't choose for me an evolved pokemon either like i feel like choosing an evolved pokemon for someone is being like you're done learning you're done I know someone's like, what is my, I, cause I've asked people have asked me before, what is my spirit Pokemon? Oh really? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I don't ever tell people they're an evolved Pokemon unless I feel like they've like, they're past like the major like life shit of their yeah. life. Yeah. And it's almost, it's boring to be like, you're evolved. Um, <laughs> I love duckling. Well, and even when I read Eevee, it was saying like versatile and adaptable, like you can do it all. And I sort of was like, I want to just be who I am. I don't want to be a chameleon for everyone else. I didn't like no. it. Swana's going to like, like, look, you look into Swana. Swana's got some cool attacks. It's like a All really right. sick Pokemon. It like does cool shit. But oh. Zeckling is like, obviously the more fun, like gets drunk version of Swana. <laughs> Duckling drinks whiskey. Swana yeah. has evolved He's since like, then. I am not, I'm not Bibarel. I am Bidoof. <gasps> You're Bidoof. Little Bidoof and Duckling just having a convo. Nobody ever feels like they're grown up. No one ever feels like they're the evolved version of their Pokemon. Yeah, I want to keep growing. I think that's, I don't ever want to be at the end of That's a sick Pokemon. That Pokemon is a good, solid. I love. Thank you, Alice. That actually means so much. I like, I I was so curious and then I asked it and got really nervous because I was like, oh God, what if I don't like how she sees me? But I love. Philippe asked me, I was like, you're Trubbish, the garbage Pokemon. <laughs> By the way, Trubbish is like, honestly, one of my favorite Pokemon. It's a bag <laughs> of garbage that evolves into a larger pile of garbage. And like, <laughs> but like, you have to really know a person to say you are Trubbish. Yeah, because you're basically saying you're trash, but I love you. You're trash, <laughs> you but you're like the best possible the trash. best. And you're going to evolve into even better trash. You like, yeah, you got to really know somebody. The best version of your life is a larger pile. It's a larger pile of trash. <laughs> and you called me a swan. Sorry, Philippe. I'm so glad. A cool duck. You know, Philippe, he wanted, he was like, I was hoping you would say I was trash. Like, Philippe knows he is a, a bag of garbage. <laughs> Oh, I get to be a duckling. No, I love. Ducklet, ducklet. Wait, is it ducklet? Sorry, it's ducklet. It's ducklet. 
Sorry, I have had a lot of scotch and that makes me look so bad at Pokemon. They're like, you're duckling. No, it's duckblood. Oh my God. But I knew Swana. Yeah, you knew Swana because you because you have such strong faith that I'm going to evolve into Swana that that's what you're thinking of. Honestly, later years Pokemon, I know less of them because all later years Pokemon, I have not like played the game through with them having their natural names. I've mm-hmm. named them after people I know. <laughs> I play through. That's cute. So that like I'm very Aww. stressed when they die. I'm like, I'm so sorry I let you die. <laughs> I um, I'm sorry, you pile of garbage. You're dead now. Oh, yeah, so I'm so very sad. stressed about letting people <laughs> uh, faint or die. It's faint, oh. but I pretend they're dead. So, <laughs> well, if you play in Ducklet or Swana come up, can you name them Amanda? Yeah, I'll name them Amanda, and then they'll be like, "I'll show you." I'll be like, "Look, they've evolved. They did it." <gasps> And then that day I'll book my, my TV show or something. Yeah. And then you'll be like, I feel so good for five minutes. And now immediately it means nothing. (laughs) Now I feel like garbage. Now I feel like Philippe garbage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Cause I know you guys are good friends. So I feel like I can say it and he'll he'll know like you do actually love him. Cause I I know you guys are good friends. I do love him. I would never call someone garbage on a podcast unless I cared about them. And unless you said it to their face first. No, of course. I should also preface for watcher for watchers and listeners. 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 The other another podcast I said watchers and viewers. And I was like, you idiot. Watchers and listeners. Philippe is a comedian. Yeah. He knows. I think he's a human being. A garbage he's, person. He's a great comedian and a garbage human being. No, I'm just kidding. He's he's always no, no. been, I don't know him well, but he's been wonderful to me every time I've met him. And Alice- I mean, like last friends. night I was like joking about <laughs> being a fan of like this Japanese baseball team. And he yeah. immediately posted a photo of like, oh, you mean like he had a jersey of the team? And I was like, what <gasps> the fuck is wrong with you? How the fuck do you have this Japanese baseball jersey? What the fuck? <laughs> In, like he's magic he's a magical oh, so irritating. like his level of being a sports fan is like two rungs above mine and it frustrates me <laughs> oh we're just always getting bested by the garbage what's the garbage pokemon name trubbish trubbish it's like rubbish but trouble oh uh, yeah like a really cute bag of garbage oh i love trubbish oh my no, god he's actually like if anyone told you trubbish like how dare you but then you look at it you're like is this the best pokemon do i wish i was a a like a garbage little duck? You wish, honestly you <laughs> wish any one of your friends was comfortable enough to be like hey you're an adorable bag of garbage oh that's when you know you're real friends with someone when they're like i love you you're an adorable little little bag of garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. If you liked what you heard, please help me out by leaving a rating or a comment on your Apple podcast app or on YouTube or wherever you might be listening from. And if you're like me and you have an awful memory or you just don't want to have to remember when the next episode comes out, hit that subscribe button and the newest episode will automatically download for you. Just like magic. I love it. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Liquid Courage Podcast and on Twitter at Liquid C Podcast. And if you're still listening, I want to remind you that a pandemic is still taking place. And I don't say that to be a buzzkill or to scare you, but to ask you to please, please continue or start wearing your mask when you're out of your house and around other people. We should be treating people how we want to be treated. And if you want to be safe and healthy, respect the health and safety of the people around you. 
please. Thanks again for listening. It means the world to me. Stay safe and take care. Thank you.